Hola, hola, Charlito. Charlito. Hola, Charlie. Texas, my mm. hometown actually, which mm. is hilarious because my my partner was the one who was like, "Yeah, right there, let's go there." I'm like, "Damn, you want to move back to my hometown? Like, I don't know about that." But internally, I realized that you know, I knew that she would she would intuitively know where to go. Right. Um, for me, it didn't matter because I was remote. I'm just like, whatever. Let's just. What do you want to do? Most like, of your work is remote. Yeah. Okay. And so she's like, "Well, has it always been remote, or no, did no, it just, just start after the shutdown?" Shutdown. Shut okay. down, right. you know, right. shut down one of my practices, which is medical massage therapy, two offices in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just completely just crushed that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to um, I had to rebound and I had to get back on to my my, my other options, my other platforms that I've already been working on uh, right. corporate wellness. Uh, school education also shut down, so that was a hard hit. We lost a lot of school contracts. Budgets were cut, so our anatomy and physiology class was shut down. Mm -hmm. And um, and so the corporate wellness like helped pick us up. Right. It helped right. take us to the next level. But is your move influenced by the shutdown? Somewhat. Okay. Yeah. Mostly because uh, the city itself doesn't have the same energy and, and luxury, you know, it doesn't have the same feel and opportunity. Uh, and that's, uh, that doesn't make sense for my long-term goals. If I'm right. going to be paying the expense of having the luxury without the luxury, then right, right. why do that? Like, yeah. You might as well go and establish some new grounds and some different uh, opportunities. So, right. So you're moving to Texas, Corpus Christi. Yeah, man. So this is an emotional day. I feel honored that you're spending last, some time on your last day. Yeah, I no, appreciate that. I it's guess great. this is my birthday gift since my birthday right? is uh, exactly, this, uh, Wednesday, my last anniversary. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Um, but your loved ones are okay health-wise? You're okay health-wise? Yeah, man. Everyone okay. is well. Everyone right. is very well. And that's the thing. It's like we're so good that we actually are comfortable enough to say, you know what? We love you, Brooklyn. We right. love you, family. But... It's time to think about our family long-term goals, right? You know, right. and now position ourselves to to be in a place of access, in a place of also offering opportunity to our brothers and sisters. You know, right? Right. So, um, yeah, long-term yeah. goals, man. Yeah, you know, listen, you are one of many that are leaving New York right now. You know, before the shutdown, I think there was a uh, an average of three hundred uh, New Yorkers mm. leaving the state of New York. Um, wow. So, and then after shutdown, you could only imagine the vacancies, 
real estate companies are struggling right now. Yeah, man. Um, you know, folks that own property. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them are struggling, especially yeah. with the moratorium being extended to January 1st. Um, so it's a complicated issue, but, you know, so many folks are suffering some real hardship as a result of yeah. what's going on. So yeah. I, I, I get you, man. Thank you for being here, man. Um, I want to talk to you about the amazing work that you do, you know, which is why I wanted to catch you before you left. Awesome. And um, aside from catching up with you because you're a fellow mastermind, yep. connect brother, right? Yep. Uh, but wellness is so necessary in light of everything that we're going through right now, whether it's COVID, whether it's the government shutdown, whether it's the loss of uh, life, loss of employment, yeah. uh, you know, everything that we're seeing in the media when it comes to, um, you know, police brutality, yeah. these elections coming up. Uh, yeah. And yet, uh, folks are still um, expected to go to work and act like nothing is happening, right? Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's almost like um, consistently being traumatized mm. over and over, week by week, <laughs> for like the past six months. Right, right. And uh, that's, it, it's hard for people. It's right. hard for everyone. During the beginning of this, you know, I had a, I had a lot of different emotions that I went through. Right. I had a lot of different things that I experienced. Uh, I I mean, at one point, I felt that I even may have lost my damn mind mm. and went insane and, and had to surrender to the fact that, you know, I have no control except over the way that I feel and react. Now, taking charge of that helped me to navigate myself through the whole process. Right. But because I have the tools... I know how to do that, right. you know, but not everybody has those tools or even the understanding of that they are being triggered and traumatized. Right, right, right. Like, I was, I, I was just left and right. I couldn't do nothing, man. I was like, every, just punt, ah, oh, left, oh, right, uppercut, right. oh, damn. Yeah. Like, getting hit from all angles. And so it became absolutely overbearing. And so for people to grasp how right now is the most vital time for them to think about themselves, think about their wellness mentally, emotionally, physically, and financially. Right. Because these are the things that drive the pillars of our emotional well-being right now. Mm. You know, if we if we can take any of these things out, then that would be great. We'd have a new culture and a new society. But right now, we are basing everything off of these four pillars. And that needs to actually drastically change for a lot of people in order to maintain that that mental state. Right. But right. we don't have any answers for that. Mm. In fact, we are being <laughs> told that because winter's coming, there's supposed to be another another wave of this, another right? Wave, right? And so how are people then supposed to like gear up for that mentally, right? They're like anticipating fear, anticipating possible death. Right. Anticipating another quarantine, anticipating more job loss. Like, that right there alone is super triggering. Mm -hmm. And some people are not even processing that. You know, whenever they told me that, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be here for that. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't do this to, my, to myself. I know where I'm at right now. Right. I can't do it. Right. I don't have the space. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, that's why, and that's why the work that you do is so necessary, right? Yeah. Um, and you being my first guest that I have on in the morning, I know... We met up this morning at 8.30 to get things going, right? Mm -hmm. This is uh, the earliest, so uh, we have our cups of coffee here and our water ready to go. But um, I think it's only fitting because uh, for you to practice mindfulness, it only makes sense to do it in the morning. 
before you start your day, just to give your yourself an edge, get you know, to give yourself momentum yeah, exactly. to go about your day the the way that you want it, you know, yeah. with intention. So, um, you know, with that said, I know, you know, uh, we're fortunate because you agreed to do a, a brief meditation yeah. with us this morning. Yes, and, exactly. And yeah, man, so... Just a preference, you know, I always like to tell people meditation is an illusion of possibilities. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, you know, I can't actually meditate because I can't sit down and quiet my mind. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, me neither, shit. Like, it's not made to quiet. Like, your mind is not made to be quiet. It's made to be focused. Right. So the more you focus your mind, the more that you can intend something. And so meditation is just focus. And you're probably not going to be able to sit down and meditate because all day you're focused about things that really are probably irrelevant and also cause you anxiety. Right. So therefore, when you go to sit down in quiet spaces, that same habit that you've been doing for the past eight years with your job or whatever the situation, that's what's going to come up in your meditation. And so it's really about just focusing. So having the ability to focus on something for a longer period of time is why... The greats can meditate for hours to days right. because they've learned the practice of shutting the fuck up yeah. and allowing themselves to focus their mind, even if they get distracted. And be like, oh, yeah, it's going over there, but bring it on back. Bring it on back. I'm just breathing. Yeah. yeah. Just and breathing. A lot of people don't understand that you get better with time. It's practice. Yeah, it's like going to the gym. Right. It, your brain is literally a muscle. So yeah. if you want to get yoke in the bicep, then you literally got to do curls. Right. You got to do arm curls. Right. There's right. no other way you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And also, and also, like I've always, especially when I used to study a lot uh, during law school, uh, I would always remind myself that I am tired now. I am not, my mind is uh, overly stimulated. Yeah. Uh, but when I go to sleep, it's like I'm deleting files and you're going to be faster. You're yeah. going to be, your, your mind is going to be a lot more clearer. Yep. And um, how you think about it now is not going to be the same way because you're going to feel better. Yeah. Um, and the same thing goes with, with meditation. Like, if you continue meditating in the morning, eventually all of your files that were holding you down will be deleted exactly. and your computer, your mind, yeah. would be a lot more efficient. So yeah. it would be less painful to meditate at some point. Exactly. So um, exactly. You know, that's what a lot of folks, I feel, have to understand about the process huge yeah and just to be just thank you for saying that because that that is a, a true statement you know it's um the practice is finite like you cannot avoid the practice right you got to do it yeah you got to learn the process the universe was created through process mm-hmm. not because suddenly it just knew no it had to learn it right. had to mess up yeah it had to you know i don't like the the english word fail but Failure is, is, is a sense of trying again. Right. And so it had to learn again and again and again in order to perfect itself. And so we're doing the same thing, right? Right, right. Learning again and again and again every day, every moment. And so with that, let's learn how to get into this breath. Let's do it, brother. And specifically for this meditation, um, for those who are listening, I want them to just sit down, be in a comfortable position, try not to lay down, because a lot of times it has to do with falling asleep and you don't want to fall asleep. You want to be able to even deal with the uncomfortableness of sitting in a position because your body is also giving you feedback. Like, hey, maybe you're not sitting right. Like, maybe you're just not sitting right. That's why you're uncomfortable. 
Or maybe you should adjust. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's actually some issues there that you may have emotionally that your body's holding on to. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. So your body will tell you because it's a roadmap. Mm -hmm. And so in this position, whenever you're sitting, just be comfortable. If something comes up, this meditation will be really quick. You can do it in the morning. You can do it on break at work. You can do it when focusing on like dinner. You can do it whenever. And it's a series of breaths. And we're going to do four counts of breath in through the nose. We're going to do four counts of breath out of the mouth. And then we're going to hold our breath for four seconds. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to continue that cycle. And we're going to do that. We're going to try to get people to do it eight times. Okay. Just to see how, like, in what breath did you lose your focus? Gotcha. And were you able to reel it back in? Okay. And so it's a simple practice that is, uh, I would say, is probably the best first timer step to learn to, to count your breath. Just being aware. It's just inner awareness. That's all you're doing. Okay. And so um, taking the feedback of your mind running off to another place, taking the feedback of your body suddenly aching and questioning, huh, okay, okay, that hasn't been that long. Or, huh, whenever I took that one breath, it was a sharp pain. That was weird. Why? What is my body telling me? And then you can ask that part of your body, hey, what's going on there? <laughs> and if you intuitively sense yourself, then your body will tell you what's happening. You'll intuitively know, oh, yeah, it could be that. Mm -hmm. Or it could be this. Or maybe you ate some bad shit and it's hard to digest right now. Right. right. <laughs> All the above, you know? Yeah. So with that said, we like to start the first two breaths with our eyes open. And it's important because we want to keep the mind engaged while the conscious is also engaged by looking. You know, you want to keep those eyes open. And the idea is to stare at a focal point down beneath you that you can gaze at softly. Keep your eyes on there. And on the count of three, we're going to take the first breath into our nose and out of our mouth. And then hold into our nose, out of our mouth, and then hold. So one, two, three. Deep breath in through your nose. Out of your mouth. Hold your breath. In through your nose. Out of your mouth. Hold your breath. And on the next inhale, feel free to close your eyes in through your nose. Out of your mouth. Hold. In through your nose. Out of your mouth. Hold. And while you're holding, sense the oxygen in your body. In through your nose as you focus on the air coming into your lungs, out of your mouth as you feel your ribs relax as it releases the air. Hold your breath as you feel the movement of blood rushing through your arms and legs, your belly, in through your nose, out of your mouth, 
through your nose, out of your mouth, hold, in through your nose, out of your mouth. Last one, in through your nose, out of your mouth. And this time, hold your breath for as long as you can. And I want you to just feel the pulse going through your fingertips and toes. Feel the blood and the movement within your body, the universe, the multiverse, the different organisms, the different feelings, the emotions. Whenever you feel the need, take in air, open your eyes, and allow yourself to just take in your space. Mm. Yeah, it's a good practice. Where were you during law school? <laughs> right. This was exactly what I needed during law school. Yeah, man. Maybe the experience would have not been that torturous. That painful. Such is. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing, man. I'm glad I can offer it to you, man. Um, it is a technique that I definitely still practice and also at times still have trouble with. There right. are times where I can go to 16, 30, you know, I can count all the way up. But then there are times I'm like one, like, damn, son, like, I'm really triggered. Like, there's so right. much going on right now, I can't even sit here and think. Like, let me just process. And so from that point, what I've learned to do is instead of trying to fight the things that I have in my mind, I just reorganize, right? Mm -hmm. I just start imagining my goals and putting them in order. Like, okay, well, I'm going to tackle this first, bullet point it. Oh, this bullet point got six more notches of what we're going to do. All right, then we're going to move on to that. And then from there, I need to hire these people. Okay, cool. I need to put that ad out there Tuesday. Boom. And then I'm coming down here. Oh, you know what? This is not important right now. Let's move on over here. Right. We have this project too. Oh, did you send out those emails? Okay, cool. Remind yourself to do that at 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm, I'm categorizing my day by instead of fighting with my ego, right. right, fighting with that monkey mind, I'm just going to use it and organize instead of be anxious and shit. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and be like, you know what? This is what this is. This is how I need to take care of that. And, uh, you know, I have to tribute Nikola Tesla. He his thought process and how he would think in detail so intricately that he would see it so clearly in his mind before he even produced it. He would even know like the ratio of the nut for a specific area of his fucking machine. And I'm like, yo, I want to think like that. Right. I want to think in those details. Using focus, which once again is meditation, right? meditation right? And so he just had the ability to focus so intensely on his ideas that he can see them vividly just like me and you are sitting here right now right because yeah. again your brain well not again but it's a quick little tip your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and imagination yeah. and once I learned that shit in neurology class I was like wait what do you mean they were like okay how many times have you sat there and thought about something that made you feel upset instantly and I'm like oh plenty of times I'm like yeah your brain thinks that's really happening so now your palms are sweaty heart's all racing you're like your, your pupils, pupils are dilated you're taking in more light 
like you're a little snappy, yeah. you know, like you're not really thinking with your frontal cortex mm-hmm. because the brain is now shut down and is just feeding off the emotion and it's really trying to get you out of danger. Right. But you're not in danger. Yeah. You're sitting there and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And that's why you have to question your thought process to see why is it that your thought process takes you to that experience where you're triggered. Yeah. Or at least acknowledge it so that if you do feel some sort of way, you don't react to it yeah. or you don't let it control you because of your lack of awareness. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's why right now mindfulness is so it's key. Like it's literally going to be the, the catalyst to the next five years of your well-being. It goes beyond well-being in the sense that a breath is so important. Like I always tell many of my young uh, male clients, uh, you know, all clients, but definitely male clients, yeah. uh, where they make, uh, you know, rash decisions because they fail to just take a breath and find perspective. Yeah. And like, let it just roll off. Yeah. You know, and, and many of them, unfortunately, serving jail sentences because of their lack of being able to cope with the anxiety or stress of a situation. Yeah. And even the admittance that they're in consistent trauma. Right. And they're actually. Uh, they're downplaying the use of their emotions through this idea of toughness. Yeah. But it actually causes hypertension. Yeah. It causes anger. It causes depression. But but you know what's funny? This whole idea of toughness is about suppressing emotions, but most of the many crimes are committing are committed due to heat of passion. Exactly. You know, so there's like you're many, fully engaged in emotion. Right. Then you're fully engaged in emotion and it it just you need to understand that contradiction. Yeah. Um in order to go forward, but uh, I agree. So let me ask you this: How, like, how, like, what is the longest that you've gone meditating? Yeah. Um, I can't even really tell you that because there are times where I just like go in a trance, and time and space is irrelevant. Really, like, I didn't check the time when I went in, but I know the sun's down. I'm like, oh shit! Like, I don't know what's happening right now. But, <laughs> I, um, I've come out of some meditations yeah. and I have, I have to ask myself, Seriously, where, like, am, I again? My family, like, where like, am I supposed to be doing? Like, are they here? Like, yeah. am I here? The hell, where's here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so coming back, what's up, what's down, what's yeah. left, what's right. Exactly. And sometimes whenever I'm going like super deep into meditation, I'm laying down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm allowing myself to go in a trance state because mm-hmm. some, like, you have to be really practiced to be honest. To be able to sit in a meditative position, go in a trance state, and not fall on your fucking face. Mm-hmm. Like, you're literally leaving your body. Your consciousness is not here. And so to keep your immediate posture while also floating around in the astral realm, I'm like, yo, that takes a lot of practice. I'm like, you got to really be on your game. Because right. there's many times I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yo, don't fall on your face. And I've actually been in meditation classes and watched students go into their trances because what happens is a lot of times they get drawn in through the chemicals, through, mm-hmm. the, through the second dimension of elements. And that emotion takes them over and it shoots them into a trance state and they're just like getting ready to face plant. I'm like, no, trying to catch them before they I fall. Guess, I guess I haven't been doing it that good because I haven't... <laughs> well, you know, it's certain things trigger it. Falling no. on my face. But certain things trigger it. Like sometimes it can be... You know, one time we had a girl who was... She had severe trauma that happened to her and whenever she tapped into that chakra, she she was lifted. She might as well have taken this, a large dose of morphine. Mm. Like, that's how strong the chemical was in her body. Uh, that trauma came up. And, and then there was a guy who was having a complete sense of bliss and joy. Right. 
and that overwhelmed his sensations to where he like came out of he was like where the fuck am I right and I was like yo you with us he's like who are you I'm like slow down just take a deep breath I was like come back wow you're in your human experience and you remember your body <laughs> that's crazy yeah no seriously because yeah. you're you're not tethered to the ego right you're tethered to the all the soul yeah. the thing that connects us all was that was that dude um someone that had practiced meditation for a long time no or? again like these sometimes it can just happen like it doesn't it's not necessarily always that you've been practicing and that you're going to get epiphanies sometimes you'll get them early and then never have them again right and then the that's the the, the addiction you know you're like searching for that epiphany again interesting and so it can also be an addiction like healing can be an addiction right right like the process of healing could lead you just to always be healed like yeah. why don't you heal Ma? like be healed like, be and, healed. Stop Stop always healing. <laughs> and talking about healing, like, I want you to describe the work that you do. Because okay. it encompasses yeah. so much. Well, uh, there's many levels. Uh, Crash Bell is the platform. And it was all stimulated through my medical massage therapy practice. You know, once I went to school in my late 20s and learned about the body, mm. um, I actually went into massage therapy. It just kind of happened to be like, the universe, like, literally just kind of, like, slightly nudged me in the direction and worked everything out. Mm. It was a time where I was, uh, I had a music production company, you know, we were banging, we were called Art for Money, mm. we had a studio down in Dumbo, right on the water. Really? We had clients. You spit? You spit? Or you were oh, just... Man, we did everything. Really? I uh, musician, uh, I had my own album, we also did uh, music production for other underground artists. Why, so why didn't I know label. this about you, man? I do, like, yeah, yeah, it was my 20s. Really? It was my, it was Before a, you leave, can you spit something? <laughs> you got something in well, there? Well, I'm actually more of a singer. Okay. Yeah, so I, I actually, um, I was a singer-songwriter and wrote songs for a lot of people out in Brooklyn and stuff. So, uh, I mean, I got some flow, <laughs> don't get me wrong. You know, I'm Texas boy, that's what we do. But, um, but it was never really my forte as right. much as, like, creating the sounds, musicianship, uh, you know, playing the keyboard, playing the guitar. Mm. Uh, well, playing with the keyboard, but actually knowing how to play the guitar. Right. Um, yeah, it was a whole journey. And so from that, I just started to notice that I was changing. I was starting to question my awareness. I was starting to question my relationship. I had a uh, going, he was almost four or five-year-old son, a single dad. Like I was like, yo, I need to get shit together. Mm. And so it came a point where I just kind of fell off. And started to recognize that everyone around me was full of shit. Right. Like, all these people, all these high-siders. You got people that's high-siding in the club. And I know that you got, like, a futon mattress at the crib. And you don't got no dress. You don't got nothing but a futon. And, but you in the streets with the fly shit. Right. And I'm, like, noticing all these different things happening around me in a different light. As I am starting to elevate my own inner awareness. Mm. And then it just hit me. I'm like, damn, you're the, you are what you eat, son. Like, you are attracting the things that you're resonating. Mm. And that's when I was really getting into the law of attraction at that time and understanding, like, what am I doing to create this possible circumstance? Right, right. And so that was a, another journey, but as I was coming into it, you know, massage therapy was just kind of, like, offered to me through a good friend. He was like, oh, you know, you should go check out massage therapy. It's cool. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, look, let me show you. So he took me into his office and, like, did some crazy shit. I was like, oh, what the fuck? And I stood up and I was like, yo, why do I feel like super high though? He was like, oh, your energy was all blocked. So I'm like, we just knocked that right out. And I was like, what do you mean my energy was blocked? 
And it was like, I don't even know what words you're saying, but now I got to know. And so he pretty much put me on. I was like, that's on some ninja shit, son. He's like, yeah, actually, I know all the ninja points. I can just bust you down real quick or I can hurt you really bad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So you need like ninja skills and shit from massage therapy. He was like, yeah, actually. And then, and then from there, he, uh, he just kind of like opened my mind with this concept. And I went to the school. Didn't even really go to do anything. I just showed up and was like, hey, I just want to get some information. What's happening here? And I literally left enrolled. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, you're a single dad. Financial aid is paid for. And I'm like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Because me being a man of color was always a challenge. Even though my, you know, even though I was the the smart athlete, you know, (laughs) I still had trouble getting these scholarships that wasn't specifically for people of color or indigenous. Really? And so, what did you uh, play? Football, oh, quarterback. Okay. Yeah, um, D one. Yeah, man. Like this stuff, really good. Like but I, I quit. I was like, "Fuck this shit." Two days. What? It's five in the morning. Right, right. I'm in college. <laughs> what what <laughs> school was that? This. University of Oklahoma. Oh, damn. Yeah, so I, I went out there. Well, I was already going to school in Oklahoma, and I went out there, and I literally went two days, and was like, "Nope, mm. it's not a game anymore." Now I'm like cattle. And there's a lot of cattle out here. Right. And so I just lost the passion. And um, it wasn't for me to get up that early. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to have a, a college experience. Right. And, um, and the passion of... I, I got injured my senior year uh, at a state track meet, hurdles. I, like, busted my shins all up uh, over the last two hurdles. So that really affected even me, like, wanting to be on the field. Like, football hurts, son. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. do I really want to be smashing myself? Especially, like, especially with some D one players, you know. Yeah, these guys. And I went best to a, the best in college. Are just yeah. aiming at you. Exactly. And I went to a really giant middle uh, high school. Mm. So we were, uh, it was really big. It was really huge. We had a, you know, our football teams were, like, the, the college prospects. Like we had a lot of people from my high school alone that actually either went to the league or played college ball. Okay. And so. We just had that type of, like, it's Oklahoma football, Texas right. football. You know, this is what we bred for. Right. But at that point, I literally was just like, fuck this shit, I can't do it. Um, and I really just wanted to enjoy myself and have fun. But fast-forwarding back to the point, um, there was a time in which I started to really just become aware of where I was in that point in my life. Right. And it just so happened that I came out, I was enrolled, I had everything, I had papers, and I was like, yo, what the hell is this? She's like, oh, that's your schedule. Right. I was like, well, what's up with all these ologies and shit, though? Like, what is this, like a science course? They're like, yeah, you're going to learn the human anatomy. I'm like, oh, shit. I actually didn't really sign up for that. Right, right. But whatever. We in. So I'm like, fuck it, I guess I'm going to do this. And apparently the universe is pushing me into this while also moving me away from my uh, my, uh, music production company Mm. and giving me the opportunity to actually gracefully leave that while still being a single dad, while still being able to go to school, while still being able to work minimally and support my son and Mm. still make bank so that I can actually get him to where he needs to be. And it was just the first day of uh, my allergy class of studying the bones. I was like, oh, I love this shit. Oh, this shit's crazy. What you mean? How many bones? What? Where? (laughs) How have we got that many bones? I don't understand. Right. And so from there, it just opened up my mind and it opened up my, like my brain literally was just like sucking in information and I would get like, 
I would like to say knowledge headaches. <laughs> like I would be taking in so much information. And this is like, in school. Yeah, this I'm is in college. Taking anatomy classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, massage therapy. The Swedish Institute, which okay. is in Manhattan. Uh, they're like, we're the Harvard of massage therapy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you guys are just like really intense. <laughs> That's just it. I don't care. I don't care about the titles. This shit is just really intense. Right. Learning about the body is like actually like a lifetime thing. <laughs> we should do this for since three years old. We should mm-hmm. start learning this shit. But um, but yeah, and so learning about all that, and learning about everything, and knowing that this is my body, this is what's happening within me, this these cells, these veins, these points, this the electricity, this iron, like all this stuff. Yeah, it just literally like catapulted my consciousness, mm-hmm. and it made me see myself very differently. It made me know about myself very much more, and it also gave me the ability to look at some of those things that I could not see before. Mm-hmm. like my anger issues like right. why I was stuck in depression you know right. why you know, I didn't realize I was even depressed until now and so going through those motions it really just helped me to come to this point of creating and building and and through my journey I did create Crash Bell specifically to educate people on what I learned right. like it was mid neurology class my teacher was teaching us about plasticity and she's like, you know, you can learn anything. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What? She's like, no, you can learn anything. Your brain can learn anything. You just got to practice. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. Because where I'm from, they always told us, you ain't shit. Ain't gonna be shit. Don't try no shit. And if you're not artistically creative, then you're not. Period. If you don't have that, you know, that grit, then you're not. Like, right. well, you're... That's not what I learned. And she's right. like, well, that was wrong. They didn't know anything about the brain. You should really uh, not believe that because this is how your brain actually works. And then we went through the whole lesson. And at the end of the lesson, I was like, yo, I got to tell somebody. Like, right. like motherfuckers got to know this. Right. Like, this is, I'm mad. I'm like, they've been knowing this shit the whole time. Like, our westernized medicine has been knowing this right here the whole time. Right. That we can actually do anything as long as we focus our mind on it. Like, that is really upsetting because this whole time I could have been doing so many other things if I just would have known how my brain worked. And so I literally started writing curriculum as soon as I got out of school. I started to, uh, like I was saying to you earlier off, to, off topic uh, or offline, I started to draw my own anatomy uh, study notes and, and color them and, and use marketing skills of using color to remember certain ideas and right. put them in certain categories right. and and learning that the body is immense of all this information but getting the idea to build a system and a curriculum and a platform for people to learn and for people to be able to digest it in a non-medical fashion because when you start talking medical terms it's latin and nobody knows that shit like we know it because we have to literally digest and rigorously read those words over and over. Right. But these terms are confusing as hell. Okay. And so from there, we just went in. We yeah. just started developing developing it for schools, um, anatomy programs for schools. We started developing it for the teachers as well, professional development. We started moving into the corporate scene, uh, mindfulness techniques and mindfulness workshops for the corporate culture. Um, you know, I work a lot with men specifically mm. just to really help them engage and have a lot of youth high school clients and, and um, mentees that I actually um, help out with their emotions and getting them through that. So it's been, it's been amazing how I've been able to take 
that and full on create this ethos and, and, and really help people. It's been great. So I became familiar with your meditation practices through the beautiful work that you do with Mastermind Connect, yeah. right? And you host yoga and meditation events, what, bi-weekly or monthly? Uh, yeah, it was. that's been bi-weekly thus far. Right. Yeah. And it's been beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's a beautiful thing to feel, to experience. Yeah. Uh, I find your meditation practices to be very powerful. Um, you speak a lot in your meditations about becoming acquainted with that inner child. Yeah. And I found that to be so important, especially as you took me through that journey on how to engage with that inner child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so talk to me about that. Yeah, well, you know, that, once again, it's it's one of the most powerful and beautiful things that you can ever connect to because you are just a child. Right. And this sometimes is a, is a hard concept for people because they're stuck in their adult ego mind where when you really break it down emotionally, you have the emotional intelligence of the child that maybe stopped growing at a certain point because it was so hurt. And so, for instance, all the trauma that you ever experienced as a child, it shaped you as an adult. It, it literally shaped your steps. Mm. Like, you didn't go that way because you got hurt over there. You didn't go that way because that was also very untrusting. You don't go this way or give them your everything because you're not sure if you're safe. Right. And so this is something that is learned throughout your age, your life. And so as you get older and older, you develop these constructs. And so we are really just a child looking to express ourselves. But because of all these guards, we can't. Because of all these restrictions, we can't. All these rules, all these stereotypes and gender roles and all this stuff. You know, right. We can't do that. But... Uh, the reason it is important to get into the inner child is because the inner child is also what I believe. Um, I don't think our science has really, or 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 um, therapies, psychomedicine. I don't even know so many areas they haven't figured this out. But I believe that the subconscious mind is actually in the heart because mm. there's a brain in your heart, mm. the cardiac intrinsic nervous system. We know about it. We know you can't really touch it. We know that the cardiac cells are literally, we have no idea how they form. They come out of nowhere. They have their own conductive energy. They keep the heart beating. They're called the pacemaker of the heart because it has its own stimulation that draws energy from who knows where, like literally from the universe of nothingness. Right. But, but I want to go back to that inner child, though, right? Mm. Because I'm interested to know if um, revisiting the inner child differ for different people based on the fact that some folks may associate childhood with playfulness and fun while others associate it with pain and trauma. Uh, Like, have you seen how both of those groups react to it? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to it, the heart, the inner child, the subconscious, the connections of your experience, that's all programmed. You know, that's all written within mm. your code, within right. your DNA, within your mind stru- uh, structure, within your heart walls, you know. And so whenever you, for one, start to tap into the inner child, a lot of times we also, we, we misunderstand what can be trauma, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling a child don't do that is actually really traumatizing because you're telling the child to not do what's coming from its heart. Mm. 
the child just wants to do what it wants to do because it's his child that's they're exploring they're experiencing right. whenever you say don't it's it's not like getting physically abused or emotionally abused trauma but it is a type of trauma that we in society don't necessarily recognize and right. so we unfortunately have all these little subtle tra- traumatizing memories and moments in life that we're like oh mama said don't do that because if you touch it it's going to ha- be hot and burn you right. and that's like with a lot of different analogies and so in the sense of it the people that actually have good because life is both, right? Not everybody is just associated only with trauma. Right. Like, I do remember the trauma, but I also remember all the fun. Mm-hmm. I remember the, the playfulness. Right. I remember the, the carelessness. I remember the courage. Right. I do. I remember, like, that little dude being like, you know what? I don't care if I'm getting in trouble. I'm doing it anyway. Right. And having the, the balls to, like, do it and almost even put your life at risk. I did some really crazy, dumb stuff as a kid. But at the same time, I knew it was my way to explore. And I felt safe. I felt that the universe was going to protect me. I did not feel that it was a danger. I just felt that it was an experience. Mm-hmm. And so by me remembering those moments of inner child, bringing them back into a meditation and a healing space is kind of vital. Mm. Because you're connecting back to that source yeah. that, you eventually, that you actually are and that you were. What does that process look like? That process of becoming acquainted with that inner child. Well, first it's like maybe just asking like how you feel, right? Sometimes it's just as simple as being like, how do I feel? Mm -hmm. Because the inner child is the one that's molding the feelings, right? Because it's in the heart. And the heart is the area where we, for instance, when you get your heart broken, you know, you want to, you feel it. And that area is your heart brain. It's the heart brain neurologically building up new patterns because this does not feel good. This hurts. Random fact. Uh, you know, maybe you know if this is true or not. Uh, the heart is the first organ to be created. In utero. In the utero? Okay. So, actually, this is great that you mentioned that because it's really important. When your mom's egg is, you know, Im- impeded, <laughs> not impeded, but uh, influenced by the sperm, it's one ball. Influence is a good way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's one ball. And it, then it does this, this this formation that the universe did to create itself. Right. It then splits into two balls, but they're superimposed, so it looks like they're squished together. And if you look, it's half and half. Like mm-hmm. It's directly in the center. Right. And then it's three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then from there, it starts to rapid, rapidly engage in like eights. And then it expands into like 64 and then 108 and like all these these numbers that have to do with the Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. And so from this point of uh, osteoblast is what they're called. The cells that make up every single bone, every single organ, they're already in your, in your matrix, right? They're in this little globus thing that's a ball. Looks like a cube now. Mm-hmm. And then the poles implode on each other. And then from there, when they touch... I believe that it's like possibly equivalent to like an atom bomb, right? In ratio to the size. Right. But from that touch, the spark of that cardiac cells in the heart, they're on. Mm. And now you can see the rhythm of the heartbeat within the, the, the ultrasound. And it's only a heart. It's only a, it's not even a heart yet. It's just like a little tiny area of cells that are that are beating. And people can Google this shit. You can literally look at it online right now. And so from that point, you see the growth that the heart is now being built like an apple. Like, right, it kind of looks like this apple looking thing Mm -hmm. um, around this heart brain, Mm -hmm. you know, this cardiac intrinsic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so you are only your heart. 
and then your body is built around the heart. Mm -hmm. And so that is a very important fact when it comes to the inner child because if the inner child lives in the heart, then you're always needing to refer back to that space because wow. you're not in your mind. Right. You're living from your heart. That's crazy. That's why you get reactions from shit like when you get triggered. You're triggered because that hurt you before. Mm. It broke your heart. And you're never going to let that shit happen again. So therefore, the trigger comes and now you're, you're stimulated. You're in sympathetic nervous system. Your body thinks you're in danger. But really, the child is just feeling like you're not maybe being heard. Or maybe you denounced something that I was trying to say and just dismissed me. Mm. Or maybe I was trying to get by and you actually hurt me when you shoved me. Like these little tiny emotions sometimes right. play a really big role. Right. And the inner child is the one that is wanting to speak that out. Like when you think about it from the chakra system even, even you know, the heart chakra where the inner child lies is now moving into the throat where you want to say what you feel. Mm. And then when you start to say it, it comes out of your mouth in vibrations and frequencies that change the universe, right? And then if you understand these thoughts, and I mean these feelings, and you have clarity in your mind about them, then that's how you start like really transmuting your feelings, right. getting right. it out, gotcha. expressing yourself. So becoming acquainted with this inner child is yeah. about talking to that inner child about yeah. what he wants to express to you. He or she. He or she. And your imagination is key. Right. And that's one of the things I really dive in heavily with, with my, my students is you have to use your imagination because, once again, your brain does not know the difference. Yeah. You know what? And, and when you say you have to use your imagination, and that brings me to my inner child. Yeah. You know, you have to understand I, I lost my dad at an early age, and my yeah. mother became a widow mother mm. taking care of two kids. And uh, she was very overworked. Mm. She was an overwhelmed mom yeah you know yeah, she was yeah. an immigrant so she didn't really quite master the language yet but she had to navigate she had to figure it out and um there were there was little room for a healthy conversation most of the conversations revolved around just do it yeah you know, she was like a nike commercial she should have been sponsored by nike because yeah. her words were always just, just do it, do it. Yeah. and um and i remember there were there was little patience. She wasn't equipped with this the skills, the tools needed for healthy conversation, yeah. uh, so that I can be felt or seen, right? And um, and it was a typical thing for me to get interrupted when I spoke a lot. And funny thing, when I was young, I used to have a stuttering problem, yeah. and I, I wonder now if it had to deal with like always yeah. being interrupted as a child yeah. um, and that did something to me as a child because my internal default setting became to not allow myself to express myself in the way that I wanted to yeah. and it was due to large amount to a large extent to uh, me thinking that others weren't thinking the same thing uh, that there was a a strong likelihood that I would get interrupted when I tried to express it. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, so that stopped me from getting there. So I guess if I was to talk to that inner child, yeah. you know, I would, I would tell that inner child, it's okay to express yourself the way you see how. Yeah, exactly. It's okay to seek out freedom, you yeah. know, whichever way you define it. Exactly. And to me, it was more intellectual freedom. 
yeah. that I wasn't allowed to express that at that time. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I started engaging with male mentors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was like late in my teenage years that I was able to say certain things that I was thinking, whether it was about the world, whether it was about race, whether it was about myself, yeah. you know, um, because I truly thought at the time that I didn't have the space to. So again, that's what I would talk to the inner child is just to find out what he's thinking yeah. and um, allow him to, to roam, yeah. you know, creatively. Yeah. Without me trying to rush him, yeah. Uh, because we have to go somewhere. Without me yeah, wanting huge. to have him distracted, because there's a thing that I may need him to do. You know, I, yeah. I want to provide a, a foundation where my child can just focus on his talents, yeah. his abilities, yep. and um, and his expression. That's that's what I want to do. My mother did the hard work to put me into this position, and yeah. I hope my kids get to experience. What I never really got to experience was, exactly. you know, that that kind of uh, encouragement. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. You're, you're rebuilding, right? Just like you said, you're rebuilding this foundation of learning how to trust yourself more than you do in the world around you. Right. And that concept, uh, it really allows you to reprogram your mind. Yeah. But it also allows you to reprogram your heart mind, your heart brain. Those, those things that would normally push you over the edge maybe not be such a big deal. And there's actually some really cool evidence of people having their heart broken. And whenever they got the doctors like did some type of test on their heart because they were having some type of heart pain, what they found is that the strings and the, the they're not really strings, but the fibers that open your heart like a valve, they were inflamed. Mm. And so the doctor was like, your heartstrings are inflamed. Did you just go through a breakup? Right. And the guy was like, hell yeah. Like, how do you know that shit? Wow. He's like, well, because, I mean, this doctor is a little different, obviously, but he's like, your, your heartstrings. Mm. They're literally your heartstrings. They keep your heart pumping. And they hurt because your heart. And I'm like, damn, that shit's crazy. <laughs> that, is, that is phenomenal. And how our bodies, again, giving us feedback. And so... That inner child needs to be healed and also needs to be paid attention to. Because once again, maybe you don't have that much trauma, which is great. Like maybe some trauma of what someone experiences is actually physically abusive is easier for them to get over than you getting over the verbally abusive things that your mom may have said to you. You know, right. so everybody has their own paradigm. Right. But the only truth is you have to get to know what the child is going through and what the child has been feeling yeah. in order to understand how to change. Because yeah. otherwise, you're just operating on autopilot. Yeah. You know, you're just robot. Exactly. Or, you know, robot, but also not understanding your triggers. Yeah. Because now, if you feel, if for whatever reason, that broke your heart, right, or that caused pain or trauma, the fact that you felt that you weren't being heard or seen, mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember when I was young, I used to walk around with a head full of thoughts. You know, yeah. like I felt this heaviness. You know, you, you talk yeah. a lot about anatomy. I felt this heaviness in my head. And sometimes I was so overly stimulated that I couldn't even, I couldn't even say a sentence yeah. because my thoughts were all over the yeah, place. Yeah, and it was yeah, because yeah. I wasn't receiving 
that kind of like dialogue with someone in a safe space yeah, yeah. and you know and I'm, I'm sure i was just curious about everything i was curious yeah. about cars i was curious about yeah, gravity yeah, yeah, yeah. you know i was curious about why uh you know why we drive on the left side and not on yeah. the right side you know exactly. but and think about it but, but, but think about think about trying to like talk to like your 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 friends you know at that age and you, you got know? all this stuff going and on. you got all this stuff going yeah. on so uh so it yeah does. like you were saying but it's um the energy you know it if not processed correctly, coming from the heart, through the throat, mm-hmm. into the mind. Right. And so the child is just always trying to express himself, but sometimes we have those blockages, right? Yeah. The throat chakra is blocked because you're always interrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuttering happens because what I learned in, in many theories, stuttering actually happens to do with like heart stuff. Mm. Like your heart is anxious or once again being blocked. And so um, being able to understand that information is feedback right and knowing that like my throat needs to get this stuff out because if it doesn't it's just going to be playing in my head mm-hmm. energetically yeah and it's and it does become overwhelming because your brain is literally overworking the more thoughts you have the more electricity you're creating right so you get tired you get heaviness like you have too and the heaviness is actually too many chemicals yeah like you have too many hormones that are weighing your actual brain down mm. Like, cortisol is heavy as hell. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's why I think your work, what you do, mindful practice, is so important, especially for young kids of color yeah. or young kids, kids. whether yeah. they're white, black, yeah. whatever, yeah. But, you uh, know, that live in, we, a, in, in very hostile mean. spaces, you know, yeah. that, that live in poor communities that are probably going through a lot with their families, with their environments, yeah. to actually sure have access to the services that you provide. Yeah. And the fact that we haven't gotten there yet as a society is pretty disappointing. Short-sighted. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Short-sighted. Yeah. It's, um, it hurts in so many ways because as a society, you see that we are being manipulated to um, be conditioned through agendas of fear, division, and separation. Mm-hmm. Rather than oneness of we all truly want the same thing. Truly, everyone wants to feel safe secure, <clears throat> feel like they have a home, to feel like they have something to cherish, love, feel that they have the space to allow them themselves to be spoken or spoken about and speak their words and be validated mm-hmm. and respected. Like all these values are finite and every person, if you ask, wants this. And if you don't, then I don't know what you're doing. Like we need to, like, there's some deep inner healing that needs to happen because yeah. you're clearly confused on what, <laughs> like, and that's, that's, that's the thing, too. But at the end of the day, if we all truly want these same values, no matter what our skin tone, sex orientation, you know, uh, nation, none of this shit matters. Right. The only thing that matters is that I want you to be best, and I want me to be best. Right. I want us to be at our best. Yeah. And then that way, we function different. In society, we function different in culture. We function different as a family. Right, right. But we're dysfunctional as shit yeah. in our ego and the family sense. Right. In our cultural right. sense and all sense. Talking about family sense, I know you, you started doing this work when you were, or started hosting events and, yeah. you know, helping people in your mid-20s, late 20s. Uh, well, in, th- in this, it, was, it, it wasn't until my early to mid-30s. You know, I was like 32, 34. Okay. After I've actually developed my massage therapy practice, okay. 
I, I went through a lot of different things where I found myself in medicine and sports therapy, okay. um, just because that's kind of how my, my mind works. And so from there, that's when I really started to, to, to learn the practice of educating, like, oh, this is what your body's doing. Okay. Oh, you have this. It's associated with that. Oh, well, maybe you should think about whenever you're taking your medicine for your cancer, how your body's reacting and how your muscles feel. Right. Okay. And so being able to like in, inform my, my patients uh, a vast amount of details helped me to also process like, okay, well, this is happening in my body. And, and then being able to understand that. So, but did you come from a foundation of where you had parents that were really big on, no, on no, no. Uh, uh, coping mechanisms, uh, self-care, uh, journaling, no. meditating? Um, not really. Honestly, my mom which, who was the staple in my immediate family. Uh, my dad was not around. Um, she gave me the opportunity to develop my emotions mm. by allowing me to express myself as she realized that I was an angry child with no father. And she realized that I was actually doing a lot of aggressive things in public. Right excuse me, amongst my, my peers and groups because I was angry and I was very triggered. Mm. I was very on, like, on edge. And so she gave me outlets. You know, that's, that's actually one of the things that brought football up. Mm. You know, football was, a, was an outlet for me to channel that aggression and that energy because there was a lot of it. Mm. And if I didn't do it there, I definitely would have did it in the streets because mm. we're from the hood, from the right. projects. And so being able to have that space I want to say that she definitely unknowingly offered me the opportunity to develop emotional intelligence mm. but was it was she or anyone in the space of educating on how to be well no by no means you know mm. she was in the her same you know being a African-American woman from Texas you know has two kids she has to do her thing you know right. she same same mentality as your mom, you know, raising two kids by herself, right. and and needing to learn how to make sure that they have while she was still a little girl, you know, I was tw she was twenty, whenever she had me, mm -hmm. so I'm like you're a baby, mm -hmm. like I mm -hmm. was twenty twenty four when I had my first son, and I'd be like, yeah, I was a child, right. I was an absolute little boy, mm. thought I was grown, had man body, right. but I was absolutely like thirteen, <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. Thought I was doing my thing. And so going through that process of, of just realizing that, um, that where I'm at in this space right now, uh, I, just, I just knew that I needed to share. I knew that I needed to do something different. I knew that I needed to share the, not only the knowledge, but the experience. Mm -hmm. Because I was having such a healing process happening through learning about the body. Right. And then also going through my inner child. You know, that was a Yeah, if you that don't was mind, yeah, I would love for you to share your process, your, your oh, engagement man. with your inner child. I wonder. I actually, oh man, I opened up this book called The Drama of the Gifted Child by Alice Miller. Yeah, Alice Miller. Yeah. And that shit just broke me all up, man. Mm -hmm. It just like really fucked me up. Like it just ripped apart some things that was in there. And I'm like, oh man. And actually, it took me almost like like four months to pick it back up after the first two chapters. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, uh, uh, It's just uh, too shit. intense. It's one of those books uh, you got to throw across the room. Yeah, like, seriously. I was like, I don't it. like this. Yeah. I don't like this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I, I did my best to avoid it. But I also knew that there was something there. Mm 
because right. it kind of kept calling me. And so I started by, once again, going into my mind. And I would try to see my inner child. And whenever he first showed himself, I would see my inner child in the all dark with the white t-shirt, white shorts, white shoes, huddled up in the ball with its hands on its head, resting on its knees, looking sad, lonely, by himself, completely alone. And I would just watch him like, yo, this, this is odd. Because whenever you really start to trust your inner, inner knowing, your inner vision, your inner imagination, you start to find that you're actually being guided. You know, so I was seeing that this is how my inner child was feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally felt alone, in the dark, pure. But no one sees him. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be like, yo. Eventually, I walked up to him, and I tried to, like, see his face. And he was like, nah, I ain't trying to see you. And I'm like, word, I can't see him. And it took, like, maybe a year of that same process, just me going and just being there in that darkness with him. Just letting him know, rubbing his back, like, it's all good. I got you. And eventually, you know, I saw his face. And that moment was so painful. <laughs> and like, it was like, flood. Because like, I have missed you. I forgot. I forgot all about you. I put you on the side, man. I put you on the side. I pretended that your feelings didn't matter. That your thoughts were not important. That you got to be a man, you know. You got to man up. You got to be hard. You got to be in the streets. And I put you over there. And I, I let you stay there since, like, maybe we were eight or nine. And so that's around, he was like maybe six, five or six. And so at some point, we just decided we're going to try to trust each other. Like, I don't know how to do this, homie. I don't even know how to be a dad. So I know we need to heal. And even right now, like, this is bringing up a lot of emotion because... Mm-hmm. It's such a it's such a powerful experience that it, it transmutes. Like right now, I'm not having the emotion because I'm sad. I'm having any, the emotion because I'm so grateful mm. for what we went through and how we, we grew and we forgave. Mm. We, we started to love our dad. We built a relationship with, with him out, out of nowhere. We, we started to build our relationship with men by even joining Mastermind. Like, right. That whole process, man, it was such a beautiful experience, and it was so emotional. And I think that that's where we, we, we disregard the power of emotion. The power of emotion is how you create and manifest. You know, you got to embody that shit. Right. And you got to release it through passion. And you got to go in. And, yo, that connection of processing my inner child and allowing him to be himself, it took, like, maybe six years. People be fronting, like, the process of going through my own mental insanity, that was like maybe three years, the mind game, you know? And after I got through the mind game, it was the knowing game, get to know me now. And that took another part, that was another emotional part. The mind game is is the psychological, you know? You literally go crazy. I lost my mind, son. My partner was like, yo, I don't know, excuse me, I don't know who you are, you're different. And I'm like, I know, I feel different, I feel like I'm going insane. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to open up my right side of the brain. I'm trying to express my feminine. And apparently, if I express myself, I'm a bitch-ass nigga. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. But that's what the world is calling me. 
if I if I that's what my community even calls me. Right. That's what my friends and my brother are calling me. Yeah. And honestly, I ain't no nigga. Yeah, I'm a man of color, but I ain't no nigga. And so that was even the concept that was hard because now I can't even express that because like, oh, what you trying to like? This is a brotherhood endearment term, and I'm like, maybe we got it backwards. I don't know. So I want to re I wanted to redefine my my words. Mm -hmm. How did I see myself? Yeah. I didn't see myself as that anymore. Right. My child didn't see himself as that anymore. Right. And so we wanted to live in this power by reclaiming our own strength by. Stop saying those things. Stop acting that way. Right. Maybe you should express yourself. Maybe it is best if you just say what's on your heart in the moment instead of holding it in and letting it come out three weeks later with every other little thing. Right. Maybe you should be more honest with your mom about how you felt about that. Maybe you should be more honest about yourself. Yo, you wrong, son. Yeah. Like, maybe you're not integral right here. Yeah. Maybe you're not being the best dad you can be because you're a little snappy. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. I wonder how much that informs your parenting. It's full circle. Yeah. It changed every dynamic of my life. And it's been a steady process too, right? It was a process when I started to really uh, get out of the mental and go into the, the knowing of my inner child that I started to recognize that I wasn't there emotionally for my oldest son. And he was eight, and I just broke down to him. I was like, yo... Yo, ass, I just need to talk to you, man. Like, I don't think that I've been there for you emotionally for this whole time because I wasn't emotionally aware that I was not emotionally intelligent. Wow. And I was just like a little boy, and I didn't know how to do this. Mm. And I'm so sorry. And he's like, oh, my God, Dad, why are you crying? I'm like, because I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so it changed the dynamic of how I even related myself to him because we had a connection that was, that was new now. Mm. And it allowed us to, like, build something different. He was like, this is weird, but... Cool, let's go with it. And that moment where we actually allowed each other to, to forgive and to reprogram, it, it was beautiful because it was the one moment where I realized, like, yo, you need to be more honest with how you feel to your kids. Mm -hmm. Like, yo, let them know that it's hard, son. Let them know you in these streets doing everything you can to make sure that they got luxury, privilege. That they don't know what it's like to have your lifestyle. And they don't know what it's like to have to grow up in poverty. They don't know what it's like to have to be like, can I have? And then hearing no all the time. Right. They don't know what it's like to have to like, uh, not have a dad. And that was another thing. I was like, oh shit, I'm too hard on my son. Because I'm treating him like I'm not there. Because my dad wasn't there, so I figured it out. So I expect him to just figure the shit out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, but he don't know shit. And you're right here, son. I'm like, you need to check yourself on that one, homie. Right. You need to start, like, changing how you're responding to them and, and making him feel that he should know it, even though he's a child. And you need to show him. Right. And I had to have that hard conversation with myself. Yeah. And the funny part was, well, it was, it was my inner child that was having that conversation to the adult. Hmm. He was like, yo, you're tripping on this one right here. Listen, man, I think you saved him years and years of therapy. You know how many people, how many young men and women, right? They go to therapy and they get they learn to forgive by understanding what their parents were probably going through at that yeah, time. Right. And here you are telling him, this is how I'm reacting to my environment. Yeah. Uh, the things that I find to be very important. And you, my son, you're one of them, yeah. right? But in doing what I can for you, I have to go through this, that, and the third. And yeah. I'm navigating all of that at the same time. Yeah. I'm human. I'm flawed. Yep. And I don't know. And I'm figuring it out. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny because now my eight-year-old is 14. And 
the past COVID quarantine, you know, I'm having a talk with them and I'm like, yo, you know, I really still want to develop a better relationship with you, right? He was like, no, dad, I know. And I'm like, no, I think it's, it's more important for me to help you to get it. Like, it's always developing, my man. Mm. Like, mm. I'm always learning how to be better towards you. I'm always learning how to listen to you more. I'm always learning how to just, like, show up when you need me without me putting my two cents on it. Mm. Just allowing you to just be in a space of trust. Mm. Like, I'm still learning because sometimes you be saying shit, son, and I'm like, yo, my dude, like, honestly, that was that was throwing me off. I'm left now. My emotions are involved. Like, I need to process this. Give me a sec. <laughs> like, thankfully, I have that knowledge and I have that, that reaction time now where I can just be like, Yo, honestly, that that was like real triggering for me. And I know you feel safe to say that to me, but I'm going to need to process that one. I need to talk to your mom about that shit, too. <laughs> you have to let them know. Look, <laughs> yeah, man, like, I ain't a snitch. Yeah. But, but like what we're talking about right now, you, you, yeah. you, you're talking to me like your boy. And I'm yeah. your boy, yeah. but I'm also your father. Yeah, exactly. And with that comes other things that we yeah. need to like. And so now that he's 14, yeah. you know, he's out in Cali, real life hits, you know, marijuana, sex, mm. you know, yeah. masturbation, all these fun all topics come things. up. And so I'm just talking to him real like, <laughs> yo, like, look. And he yeah. hit me. He was like, so, Dad, how would you and my mom feel if I tried marijuana under the guidance and supervision of YouTube? And I'm like, well, shit, we can't even really say no to that because you're in Cali. You're going to go on the streets and do it with your friends if we say no. And damn, you like hella responsible though. Like, you so much more responsible than me because I wouldn't have said nothing, homie. I would have just, <laughs> just did it. But I feel you. And so I had to talk to his mom about it. I'm like, yo, we need to have an adult conversation right, real quick. Right, right. And we were both taken back. But we were both so impressed by his like maturity level. Right, right. And so I was like, yo, That's... if you feel comfortable since he's with you, you know, you guys do your thing and just keep me updated. I want to laugh about this. That's you know. hilarious. Do you watch Blackish? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, episode... I've only seen that episode actually. Which episode? Uh, where where the he smokes weed with the uh, it was the daughter, right? Oh well, you know I didn't see that one. What I was referring to was the one that he caught his son masturbating, and then he was like, "You know what? Let's talk about it, son. It's okay. You, I'm your boy. You can talk oh, wait, to no, me no. about it." Different show, Blackish. My bad. Yeah, yeah, Blackish. Anthony. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And uh, he told his son, "Look, man, I'm your boy. Like, don't feel any, uh, you know, don't feel embarrassed. Like, you can tell me anything. You can, you know, whatever. We're we're good. That happens. You know, it's normal, right?" And all of a sudden, he was like, "The son just." became very comfortable in sharing too many details. Yeah. And he was like, yo, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Slow, 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 slow down. Slow down. I don't need to know everything. Just give me the highlights. Yeah, yeah. Clip I don't notes. need the play-by-play, man. Yeah. I don't need I don't to know, know that this morning you felt some sort of way and you went into the bathroom. And yeah, <laughs> like, I don't need don't to know need to... That, that direct link. Yeah, no, we've had those conversations. And I actually was expressing to my son, I'm like, yo, um, as I tell any man and myself, right, it can be a vice. Do not think this is real. It's not reality. Mm. Like, do not get involved in this whole fetish thing. Right. If, if you're going to use this tool, then let it be that. And at the same time, like, monitor, bro. Like, know, And then know how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's causing distress, then maybe you should rethink that. Right. You know? Right. And, you know, and I was like, because a, a bunch of different mind fucks are going to come up yeah. whenever you yeah. start engaging in this. And a bunch of different things of, like, comparison, right. you know? And 
all these subtle cues of like all of a sudden you have all these like back-minded thoughts that just mm-hmm. monkey brain. Yeah. Excuse me. They serve you no purpose. Mm-hmm. But because you're feeding yourself and even having this like while having this conversation with him, still talking to myself about the stuff that I engage in. Mm-hmm. You know, even whether it's like a, a specific movie or or even if I want to tune out and just play some video games. Right. Like what am I engaging in? Mm-hmm. And so that's been a that's actually been a very uh, amazing thing that happened during COVID. I, I was able to really focus in on like the things I was engaging in and how it was making me feel. So, you know, that's interesting that you talk about the things that you were engaging in, such as video games. Yeah. Now, um, there is even more of an importance for uh, young kids to, to have access to these uh, coping mechanisms, such yeah. as mindful practices mm-hmm. and um, also meditation. Uh, you know, we have social media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, social media uh, is having an impact more now than ever on these young kids. Yeah. On adults, but definitely yeah. these young kids and their mental health, mm-hmm. uh, including the mental health of adolescents, right? And suicide uh, rates Crazy. have gone up as a result of that. Crazy, 12 years old. Yeah, like, so, you know, th- this is why this is so important. I don't know, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Like, Oh, man, honestly, you hit it on the nail, man, on the head. It's, um, it's a detrimental time. Mm. And because I am mentoring young kids as well, you know, that's one of the things that we really focus on. It's like we not only focus on teaching them how to meditate, but also teaching them how to be really aware. Like, oh, yeah, you hurt? Cool. What's up with your parents? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, mom. Oh, cool. No, not not the best relationship. Oh, work. How you feel about that? And then, you know, working through it and then getting the dad. And then finding like, okay, so we got these two pillars, right? And now let's see how your, like, activity, what are you doing? Like, what do you waste your time on during this whole COVID shit? And a lot of times it's like, oh, I'm on TikTok or I'm on Snapchat or mm-hmm. I'm on this. And I'm like, okay, so what are you looking at? How does it make you feel? How's it triggering you? Yeah. Like, you feel good when you get off of it? Or, and sometimes or are you like, repeatedly comparing yourself to someone, that, which is one of the easier routes into depression exactly. and anxiety. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what's happening. And so one of the things that I say, I'm like, I challenge you to not use it so much in one day. Like maybe even give it don't one day where it. you don't don't use it. Right. I and mean, you know, what I did, look, as an adult, and I considered myself to be uh, a person that doesn't have an addictive personality, I had to put a one-hour limit yeah. time screen on, your phone. on social media, on my phone. Yeah. You know, if I have to do it, I'm sure there's a lot of young yeah. kids out there just struggling. They're just what I like to call... Thumb flipping, or if you're an adult, thumb fucking. Right. Because that's it. They just, it's all they're doing. Just thumb flip. Flip left, right, up, down. Just off. You got strong ass thumbs by the end of your <laughs> high school career mm. because you've just been doing all this. And it's, it's so toxic because a lot of times what they're doing is they're getting feedback from stuff that's not real. Right. And so they're, they're taking that in as life. Yeah, and they're also, that's their way of managing stress. Like, I found yeah. that whenever I'm stressed, I look for the quickest way yeah. to, like, get my it's my cortisol levels up. Yeah. And social media may be that. Like, I yeah. can start viewing some somebody's page or, yeah. you know, or, you know, I follow a lot of, like, basketball highlights. That takes my mind off of things. Yeah. You know, it's all of this is really about managing stress. And when you start to take that approach, it becomes extremely unproductive. And um, you're only, it, it just becomes a vicious cycle after that. Also, 
anxiety, managing anxiety, you know, as a young kid, because you're looking for that instant relief, that could also uh, make you uh, really addicted when it comes to having sex. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this is how you deal with your anxiety by, yeah. you know, calling a shorty that you probably do not want to invest in. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as relationship, yeah. but you're out here and this is your way of managing it. Not mindfulness, not meditation. Yeah. You're doing all of these toxic yeah. things at an early age and it's really hard to correct that problem as an adult it is and you know that's why there's many divorces yeah because men don't know how to curve that or women don't both. know how to curve both. that you know yeah we're both dealing with a, a curveball situation right in 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 dusk right. like as soon as dawn hits you know you know how it's like the most accidents happen at sundown and it's really hard to hit a baseball at sundown so that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a sundown situation coming right over our eyes while also trying to hit the sick, sick-ass curveball. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so everybody's set up to possibly fail or strike out. Right. And so with, the, with the, the setting up your own mindfulness tools and practice is it's the most foundational thing that you, we, we need in society right now because it's literally no other way to go. Mm-hmm. Like you have nothing to do now. You don't have these ex- escapes where you can go to the club or go to the bar and now you're just diving into your social media, but that's fake. Right. And it's causing you all types of stress. And most people can actually agree that this shit causes stress. Right. Even if you're on it actively, to post, to I mean, be writing stuff, to edit, like all these, you trying to get that, the photo stuff. All, and then it's like, this also is the al- Also the algorithms, like whatever you type in. Yeah. It's like the same information that you seek out is yep. being reinforced. Mm-hmm. And that only makes you more one-sided than anything else. Because... Exactly. You know, you, you should question that if you have no, nothing related to, let's say, a candidate you don't support, which is the easiest for me would be to say yeah. Trump, right? There's no one on your timeline that is talking about Trump that is, uh, you know, in a positive way. Um, no news outlets on my timeline that is, is being more critical about the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, but you go to these pages where all of a sudden... Uh, you know, there's a celebrity that you follow, and he uh, says something in support of Biden and Harris, and exactly. then you start seeing comments of Trump supporters, and you start seeing that these comments have like about four thousand, five thousand likes, and you're like, where are these people? Yeah. Where are these people? And these people exist. The yeah. problem is that your algorithm yeah. is making you think that they don't, and it's also reinforced is also reinforcing your one sidedness. One sidedness. And exactly. then when you meet someone that you don't really come across on your timeline, you don't really come across their views, it's like, why do you even think like that? Like, haven't you been getting the same information that I have? Like, where do you come from? And yeah. it's like, okay, there's no room for, yeah. for a real conversation, for, yeah. for a common ground, because we're so separate. We're okay. so far apart in our ideology, in our lifestyles, um, and, it's, and it's super disturbing to me. Well, I think that's one of the... Um if if you would like my honest opinion, <laughs> honestly, why not? That's, I that's see why we're it as, here. Yeah, this is yeah, uh, safe exactly, space. Exactly. <laughs> but honestly, I see it as like a huge game mm. that is propagated with influences. It's like if you influence a certain thing and you let that thing play out, it's going to have its own ethos. It's going to have its own directions, its own energy. And I think right now it, the focus is complete separation because consciously, spiritually, universally, we are one 
species. Just like the Lion Kingdom, right? We're not looking at old Lion over there and be like, yeah, that's Craig and him. Over there, Sue's. Yeah. Oh, you know Tanya? Yeah, she over there. Nobody's doing that shit. I mean, they may have their own understanding of each other through their ethos, but they they know that they're one species. Mm -hmm. They work together. When you see buffalo, they're not like, I'm the baddest buffalo. Sometimes maybe, but if 51% of them motherfuckers are moving, everybody moving. They're not going to be like, oh, word, oh, y'all going that way? I'm going to chill. And they'll be like, all right, cool, you're going to chill, you're going to die, son. <laughs> you're going to die, yeah. Peace. Right. And maybe you will have that lagger. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the group goes because it's one, mm. just like the wind, you know? It goes because it's all one wind. Right. And so we as a species are in the same boat. We're all one consciousness. We're all one, one unit. And we are di divided in so many ways, because let's just be honest. If I say this phrase, divide and conquer, yeah, exactly, and that's easy, yeah. And, and, that's it's, really and everybody knows this phrase, right? Everybody right. can finish the whole sentence, right? But no one is willing to look and see, like, oh, we got the Black Lives Matter, we have the Antifa, we have the LGBTQ, we have the BIPOC, we have all these new divisions, and everybody is saying, I am this, which means that you are not, right. which means that me and you are not the same. Right. Which also means that I'm right and you're wrong. Right. And I have to prove myself to be right. And if you don't like it, I'm going to do something crazy or maybe yeah. nothing at all. Yeah. And so what you have is you have complete, absolute division. Right. But and you know, also you have to question who's stirring the pot, right? Who's stirring the pot? Who's stirring the pot? You know, just recently, and, and you know, please, anyone who's listening to me, Google it for yourself. But I, I think, you know, in Cuomo and wanting to enforce a social distance protocol, uh, encountered some friction with the uh, Hasidic Jewish population mm -hmm. in Rockland County, right? And because of that friction, that uh, was brought up by Trump, and he exploited it. And he said yeah. that Cuomo is not in support of the Hasidic Jewish community. He probably said something else, right? Yeah. But something to that effect. Yeah. And what does that cause? That causes division, division. more further division, and, further. and it just plays right into his playbook. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, and it's unfortunate because... That's like anti-progressive, exactly. as as a species. It goes against the collective um, consciousness that you speak about. Yeah, you yeah. know, and um, and connecting with others who are also in this lived experience, right? Yeah. Um, which is why I wanted to talk to you about the role of ego death. Yeah. In arriving at this collective consciousness, it's it's vital. Mm. Like, and not an ego death is not necessarily death, right? We're not getting rid of the rid of the ego. The ego is a construct for personality, mm. for identity. Because without your ego, you would not identify as the conscious being that you chose to become. And the issue with ego is people think that it's like against you. And it can be if out of control. Right. But no matter what level of consciousness you go, your ego elevates. Right. Like, if you're on the fifth dimension of consciousness, you still got an ego. Because mm -hmm. you still are that identity. You know, and this is getting into some way, way other shit, but even higher beings have egos. They have personality. That's why. And the ego is not a bad thing. You just have to learn how to use your ego for right. the construct and what it is, which is, it's a construct. Mm -hmm. It's a construct to give you perspective. Now, whatever that construct is for you, you're the creator of it. Right. And so the, the ego death is also the illusion because it's not the death of the ego, it's the death of the mind that that ego is living in. Mm -hmm. And now the ego must elevate. What is, oh man, we were just doing this book, 
with the men's with the mastermind. I can't the way of the superior man. Yeah, I believe the, way of the superior man. By yeah, and when we broke that down, we actually we, there was a quote in there that stated that the ego is retarded, like our ego right now is retarded, and meaning retarded in the actual definition of incapable of understanding and and, and and learning. And so we're just going through this cycle of a retarded ego, buffing all up, not evolving, but our ego needs to evolve. Mm-hmm. It needs to elevate itself. It needs to become knowing. Right. It needs to know that, you know what? Maybe if we stopped burning all the fossil fuel and used like ways of creating energy that were finite like for instance the sun is always going to be there for us right. so creating energy by using the sun and biochemicals seems more self-sufficient as a planet right. maybe stop eating so much meat and do more like growing farms and hydroponic indoor facilities where we can actually still control even the type of soil we use um, not filling the earth with cattle that are producing hella methane gas mm-hmm. Like, really evolving right. each other. But the issue is that our ego is so damn retarded <laughs> that we're like, no, I want all the power. Right. I want to control shit. And I don't want to give an opportunity for no one that doesn't look like me or have in my, or in my circle. Right, right. So it's crazy. Yeah, and it, you know, there's a long history of, represent, of how successful one can be if they have ego, right? Like, yeah. we have a long uh, list of celebrities yeah. That have tremendous egos. Yeah. You know, for example, one of my favorite basketball player, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Consider him to be the best of all time. Yeah. Same. Huge ego. Huge. Huge ego. And I don't By think far he's disgusting. Ever... And I'm like, damn, Jordan. Right. Sometimes you be making me mad, son. Like you you an asshole. Right. It's, it's a it's a dual sided coin, right? Right. It can either be sweet as honey or it can be the dagger. Right. And so learning how to use your ego as a construct to build your self-esteem, to maintain your goals, to go after the things that you're passionate about, to take action, right? Using your ego to to fine-tune the frequency of love. Because mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. like trying to understand what love is, and I've come to this inner, inner understanding that love is not a feeling. Love is not this sensation right. Excuse me, that we get because we care from, for someone. Right. Love is way bigger than that. Right. It's way more huge than that. And yeah. what I found is love is like opportunity. Mm. It's the vibration that gives opportunity to whatever, even murder, mm. even the shit that we like to call disgusting and gross and can't believe that happened. Why right. was someone like love is so grand that it gave opportunity to, for all things to happen. Right. And your perception of that thing will be what it is. And your feelings about that will also be what it is. But in the grand scheme of things, Love is just simply the opportunity to live out your ego's way. Mm-hmm. Your ego is like, oh, I want to do that. Oh, yeah, and love's going to be like, yeah, you do that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to support you in that. But pretending that the ego is not important and is not needed to be focused is the illusion. And that's how they get us because they just play on fear because the ego is also a fear construct. Right. It's based on learning patterns. And so your ego is literally... A computer code and wired in your brain that has been a habit and now this is who you are right mm-hmm. all those pains all those sufferings all those joys all those laughters all those good times all those bad times 
All those are bunched in one in a neurological circuit within your mind and also within your heart. And so if you're not able to transmute those understandings of feelings and emotions and sensations and experience, then your ego will take that shit and run with it. It will mind fuck you to death. It will really play. It's like I like to see the ego as the devil in Christianity. I don't believe there's a devil because that's dumb. You say God is everything, but not the devil. You even said that God created the devil. What does that mean? <laughs> like, God created murder then. Right. Can we just talk about it? Yeah. Maybe God's okay with murder. Right. I don't know. But at the end of the day, what we do know is we have this construct of self-criticism and self-knowledge. And a lot of times we've been taught to self-criticize so much that our ego deceives us all the time. Right. It always distracts us. It's always kicking our ass. And, and you know, and that's what I think... Um, going back to Michael Jordan, despite the fact that you brought up God and <laughs> all these other things. But yeah. like, for example, Michael Jordan, I felt that he was his number one critique. Um, he was. Critic, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was his response to his own critic. Yeah. You know, uh, being his own critic. Uh, you know, but players like Kobe Bryant with the mama mentality, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant would not be who he is or who he was, unfortunately, uh, without that assassin mentality. The dude yeah. was literally an assassin in the basketball jersey. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until uh, later in his career where he started um, expanding this definition of love. I mean, from what I saw as a viewer yeah. uh, that transcended basketball and all of a sudden he was into mentorship and he was into his family, yeah. you know, um, and he was evolving as a person. Um, so that, to me, it wasn't like he was... It wasn't like he he had vacated his ego, but it was like he was using his ego um, for good almost. Yeah. And yeah, um, exactly, right. So you know, so there is a role for the ego in pushing yeah. us to do good. Well, it's a person again. It's just a personality construct. Right. That's it. Like you, your ego can be whoever you want it to be. You can change your mind. You can change your habits. You can change anything at any point in your life and literally be another person. And your ego is responsible for that 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 switch, that right, role. Right. And so again, it's a good thing. Ego is actually your best friend when you know how to use it, but also your worst enemy whenever you don't keep it in check. Yeah. Because the ego actually thinks it's such a smart computer program that it believes it's real. It's like, for instance, your Mac right now is so advanced that it actually believes that it's the one that's creating all these lights, <laughs> all these rooms. Like, because we are computers, technically, just made out of amino acids. Mm. And so our computer system is so damn intelligent that it has given us the illusion that we are actually human. We are in this body. We are of this body. I'm going to die. So you see how these hard constructs are very, very much embedded in our, in our brain? And so the ego is like, oh, shit, death. Oh, shit, death. Mm. I'm not going to be here anymore. Right. And so it gets afraid. But our soul is like... Uh, if you believe in spring, then you know we can never die. Mm. It's always cycles. You know, a life cycle is just like the flower blooms. And then it withers away, and then it comes back. And right. it withers away and comes back. So we're doing the same cycle. The universe is doing the same cycle. Right. Look at the sun. Look at the galaxies. Mm-hmm. They're exploding. They're making new stars. They're collecting more and becoming bigger stars. Right. It's just process. And so using that ego is something that we literally, if we don't learn how to use our ego, 
and let love lead the ego's path, we're, we're literally going to kill ourselves. You know, and that's interesting that you say ego, and within that same sentence you say love, because many of us, and I know I'm generalizing, my experiences, when it came to love, the ego was present, but it wasn't present in a healthy way. Uh, yeah. You know, the way you approached love. I remember when I was young, you know, I saw that the most aggressive guys, you know, the more, um, you know, like the, the more of a prick you were, uh, yes. the more successful you were with the ladies, yeah. you know, and so you saw these playboys treating women like shit, yeah. um, who never wanted to be fully committed in a relationship, who always thought that they were the ones that were needed, yeah. as opposed to them needing someone else, right, yeah. or others, um, really gained some early wins with the opposite sex in the beginning. So, you know, and I really do feel that that's where that saying comes from. Yeah. The good guys finish last. Yeah. Because you time. see that a lot when yeah. you're young. And, um, you know, until you meet someone that uh, is very self-aware, yeah. um, who is very um, self-assured, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then all of a sudden you, you, you have to be over that type of thinking. Yeah. Um, because it is at that point that you, you get taught about compromise. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get yeah. taught about not running away from your problems um, and to properly value the effect uh, that you have on a person. But the beginning stages of how you become acquainted with love and how your ego serves um, in that process is super toxic. Yeah. When I look at my childhood. Yeah, no, for sure. We we learned love in a very unhealthy way. Like, I learned that love was abusive. Love hits. Love is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, love is demanding. Love is unfair. Like all these things that were subconsciously embedded within the construct of our society, especially in our neighborhoods. Once again, the system and the, the agenda and the influence. Um, and then that has dysfunctionally created problems within the family. And because the values of the family are not held up strongly, mm-hmm. then how can that translate to the community? You know, um, there's another really great speaker. I can't remember who, what his name is, but he says, the values of the community are, are, are necessary to be understood through the values of the family. Because the values of the family will begin to bleed into the community. And so if the values of the family do not have any type of strong foundation, then the community eventually will become the values of the family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, therefore, you have dysfunction all over. And I'm like, word, have son. And it's 100% truth. It is absolutely vital in this moment of time that we start to understand in our communities that that value, that system of love and understanding needs to be really healed mm. in a lot of different ways, in right. a lot of different ways. And right. to be honest, I'm not even sure how to do it. It's so much. Yeah. But the one thing I do know is something needs to change. Yeah. The way sure. we see it, the way we interact with each other, the way right. we talk to our kids, you know. Yeah, and um, I'm normally very optimistic, but I'm not sure that kids are equipped or we've provided the tools, the necessary tools to equip the youth with how to navigate social media and self-worth. Yeah. No, we haven't. 
So, you know, I think that's a toxic formula um, for ego to continue playing a negative role when it comes to love. Completely. So hopefully, hopefully we figure it out. But um, I wanted to talk to you about nature's role in some ego death because I think we yeah. just we just we just spoke about the fact that you know you need some ego to yeah, propel yeah. you right. But the the process of ego death is also helpful because it gets you into that collective consciousness state. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I I, I feel that it's basic, right? It's evolution. Like, look at any species, any animal. Mm -hmm. They had to learn under stress in order to adapt their ego, Mm -hmm. in a sense, right? Right. In order to adapt their physiological person. So they had to come to some type of understanding that we are in danger, ego still. They had to then come to an understanding we need to do something about it, we need to adapt. And then they took action on that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think nature's role... And the, the characteristics of cycles is just that. We're supposed to be evolving just as much as time is. And that's kind of why we're stuck right now. Mm-hmm. Because the old world, the old system, the old mind, that's that, that ego yeah. does not want to die. Right. Look at the baby boomers. They are literally like, they know that the world is different. They know that they're actually the cause of it. But they're like not like proactively saying, you know what, we're going to pull back our money. Because we understand that digging for more oil is actually literally causing the ice to melt. And we're smart enough to know what that can do. And so their conscious ego construct doesn't want to die. Does not want to give it up. So it's holding on for dear life because, once again, it thinks it's a lie collectively, but also individually. And so now we're in a state of our egos are, are a little different. We see a little bit more. We have a little bit more awareness. We have tools. Mm-hmm. We have terminology. Mm-hmm. We even have the experience of having the ex- uh, the ability to use our emotions in ways that they did not, right. whether you were a man or a woman. Right. And so that alone is even its own privilege, right? Yeah. And so the ego has developed. Unfortunately, we're at like a crossroads where this ego needs to die rapidly as this ego is growing rapidly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if, if this doesn't happen to the rate in which we can actually sustain planet health, right. then we will kill ourselves. We will die as a species. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us. Right. And then the earth is not even going to be the same. You won't even have like habitable planets yeah. or, or farmland. Yeah, there's a, there's a good quote by Nahira Wahid. Mm-hmm. which says, if the ocean can calm itself, so can you. We're both salt, water mixed with air. Yeah, man. And um, it, it goes to your point about understanding nature and the role that it has in this collective consciousness. You know, like, for example, what is it about the ocean that makes people so chill? You know, all these surfer dudes are, like, super chill. Man. Or folks that live near mountains, you know, in, yep. in Colorado or by Sedona. Yeah. You know, and, and how that affects the way Everything. they they move. They're a lot more calm. Uh, Everything, man. A lot more retro, introspective, I should say. Yeah, but th- this is why we're so disconnected. It's because nature is chemical. Mm-hmm. The natural world are tiny little chemicals that are so intelligently connected that they give us the illusion that you're standing on sand. But is it also the realization that there is something out there that you cannot conquer 
that. But you can. When we look at it, we smell. We feel small in its presence. Yeah. You know, but when that, you look at a mountain, when you're looking down. Yeah. From a mountain top. It's, yeah. It's, you it's you don't feel like you're a fucking god. You feel like no. you're you're someone that can just fall god. and no one <laughs> will ever know. Nope. You just go you rot know? away and, the, and turn it into nitrogen. Right. Uh, but, um, but that's where the beauty of it is, though. And this is what I've been able to learn not only in my meditations, but mm-hmm. also in my inner knowing of knowledge and allowing myself to be connected with the spirit realm mm-hmm. and the, the realms that are unseen, you know? Right. And so, for instance, if we can fathom the realization that the reason we go into the body of water that is huge, right, immense, is because we are the exact same. The magnesium that it helps to produce when you're in the salt mm-hmm. as the salt helps to pull lactic acid out of your muscle fibers which is the stuff that gives you that soreness in your body and then from the pulling out lactic acid it allows for magnesium to then flow in and then allow calcium to then process and then that allows you to start releasing what is called acetylcholine mm-hmm. which is a relaxation hormone mm-hmm. and so this elemental phase this elemental dimension this intelligent system right this shit is super smart Right. We are that. That's the illusion. That we are just like a human skin bag, right? But inside of the skin bag, we divide infinitely inward. Just like the universe is a thing that infinitely divides itself inward. And we now know this through a bunch of cool-ass scientists, actually. Um, Nassim uh, Hamim, uh, Haramim is one of the most recent scientists who's really been able to structuralize the pi ratio and understand how the universe created itself through this ratio and this Mm. this structure. So the universe, apparently, in what he calls, gave itself finite space Mm. to just to know itself, know thyself, right? And then what it did is it started to divide itself by pi infinitely inward. So no matter how far you go inward, it's always learning new ways to create a new part of itself. Mm. And so you literally are the same. And I'll give you a, a digression, right? Because I do this in my meditations. And this shit is amazing. But sometimes it can be really fucking intense. So I'll focus on my skin. And then I'll focus on the hair. And then I'll come to the realization that there are actually organisms living on my skin that are so small that one of my hairs is almost like equivalent to a skyscraper in Manhattan. But they're just chilling, walking around, doing their thing, right? Just living their whole life. Just like I'm on Earth, doing my thing. They have no idea they're on O. They're not like, yo, we're on O right now. O's a badass dude. No, they're not thinking that. They're not even in your ego construct. They're only thinking life, provider, source, food, rest, even light, heat. I'm putting off heat so it keeps them warm. Right. Planet's putting off heat so it keeps us warm. So then I go further. What is it eating? Oh, tiny little mites? Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> okay, what about the cell? Now you go down to the cell level and this tiny little thing looks like a fucking giant. Mm-hmm. It looks like a beast. Yeah. It's coming down like a, a, a dinosaur looking at you, you know? Yeah. And so now you're at the cell and when you're at the cell you realize... You see this little bacteria, tiny little bacteria, floating around the cell. And the bacteria looks like it's so small that it's equivalent maybe to like a uh, New York City 
person. Right. And I'm like, damn, that's crazy. The bacteria is so small that the cell looks huge. Damn, it's fucking my shit up. Yeah. And then I'm going to the bacteria, right? And I'm like, oh shit, what's inside the cell if the bacteria is so small? So you go inside the cell and you're like, oh shit, in the cell there's mitochondria. There's all these little organisms that make the cell create itself. Right. So I have these little tiny worm-like organisms living inside of my cell that are not aware. And this is in every cell. And there's trillions of cells. What the fuck? Blowing my mind, right? And I'm going even deeper. I'm like, okay, let's go into the nucleus of the cell. Whole nother universe. Suddenly, you start seeing all these chromosomes and shit. Right. X's and Y's and just mixing up and floating around. And then they start to have intelligence. They start to formulate and they start to divide themselves and make another cell and another copy. But then you get in it, even into that. You go inside of the chromosome. And you see that on the chromosome are little tiny organisms that are building a bridge to create another cell on the chromosome. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck, son? Like, there's a, there's a universe within the chromosome that's so small that the cell is equivalent to the Milky Way galaxy. Mm. Fucking make my fucking my shit up. Yeah. So these dudes are like equivalent to maybe the bugs on Earth. You know, they're so inside. And then whenever you see that they're building this world, you go inside of what they're building, and then there's atoms, which are vibrating and moving and shaking and buzzing. And they have a frequency. And if you listen close, you can hear this frequency because it's happening all around us in all spaces. You can hear the hum of the universe if you really pay attention. And so when you start to go into these atoms and these frequencies, you realize that you are so far from the physical world that you're literally an entire universe. Like you're multiverses away. You've went through digressions of universes that don't even exist with each other but need each other. And now you're in the atom and you realize that if you're in the electrons and protons of the atom, or the electrons, you're way out on the outskirts. And then when you start to go in, you realize you're like in infinite space. And in fact, the nucleus is so far away that it's equivalent to you walking to the west coast of Connecticut. It's far as fuck. Mm -hmm. And so the further you go in, the further you start realizing that you get smaller and smaller, and you get into these like nanoparticles of your nucleus. And then it's a whole nother universe in itself. Because when you go inside of that shit, we now have this am amazing information about the Higgs bosons and all these new quarks and particles that are inside of the atom. Because we smashed that shit together. Right. Excuse me. And so now we're looking at formlessness. Right. Now we're looking at pure energy, pure thought, right. pure, 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 pure possibility. Right. Shown from the process of outer space all the way down to... Your, yourself. Yourself. Right. And so, but that was the beautiful part whenever I went into my meditation. So I was going into the nucleus. I was going through the particles. And as I was going through the particles, I noticed there was a galaxy. Because there was a black hole at the very center of my heart. And there's a black hole at the very center of everything. Every star, right. every right. universe. Right. And so even this scientist, uh, Nassim, he was the one that was kind of really trying to figure this out. Like, at the center of everything, the one that connects us all is this empty space of a black hole. And it has structure. It has form. It's, and it's devised by the ratio of pi. Right. And so, even when, you, when I went in so far, 
I saw a whole galaxy, and I was like, what the fuck am I witnessing right now? You know what? And, and, that's, and that's interesting that you say that, because I can only imagine, and me just thinking about this as you, as you talk about it, is if we had the ability to travel to space, right, uh, catching a glimpse of Earth from the moon, right, what effect would that have on us? On the top of the moon, as we're looking at, as we're gazing, because we gaze, yeah. right, at the Earth, we're not thinking whether we're man or woman, right? We're not thinking whether we're American, whether we're short, whether we're fat. Um, It wouldn't even matter that much that we were human. You know, we just would know that we're a part of this bigger thing and we're all collectively, you know, playing a part. You know, we all have a role. And um, your sense of direction, an increased sense of uh, connection to this universe, um, but you would probably see the division based on these arbitrary factors, such as religion, nationalism, yeah. Um, genderism, yeah. ageism, yeah. is yeah. Yeah. simply stupid. Yeah, and this is why the construct of our ego really needs to mature. Right. It needs to elevate its thinking. Because these constructs are only man-made. Mm-hmm. They're not real. Like you said, if you're staring from outer space, you're not thinking about your problems. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually did a meditation with a group where... We, we allow ourselves to imagine that we're watching the earth from afar, from outer space. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're just watching this float. Right. We're looking at the clouds. We're looking at the ocean, the land formations. And then I asked people, I was like, does your problems matter? And most people, whenever they come out and we question, they're like, none of that shit matters. Mm-hmm. Like, the earth was so beautiful that all, all the matter didn't matter. Right. And then this is something that I gained in a... In a, in a in a spiritual evolution with my spirit guides, I was trying to understand matter, right? Matter, like physical, dense matter, connections of atoms. And I'm like, huh, so if matter is a thing in which the ego is creating matter because it's having these thought constructs, the only thing that will participate in my reality and that will precipitate like dew on a glass, right? It will become if I make it matter, mm. like if my mind makes it matter, mm. I will physically create the atoms to create the matter. Right. I will physiologically create the physical matter that I am giving my attention to by making it matter. Mm. And one, I was like, yo, that's crazy. It's I need crazy. to really yeah. it's crazy think analogy. about my focus, son. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what am I giving my attention to? Man. How is that driving my actions? Right. You know, I read this book um, by Alan Watts, and I think mm-hmm. you and I, we discussed it previously. Um, it was a, a book about the taboo of knowing who you are. Yeah. And uh, that book forced the reader to question the cause of the illusion uh, that the self is a separate ego, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he was the first one to use the term in which you use in your meditation, which is bag of skin, right? <laughs> that we're housed in this bag of skin. And which confronts a universe of physical objects that are alien to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're saying that we are all connected to these physical objects. Yeah. Right? In a sense. But, a that's, sense. but that's the fun part about what he says about the illusion. Right. The illusion is that we are not. And that's what we've been programmed with for so long. Right. And that's what he's trying to help us to understand, like, moving out of that illusion, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to... You have to let the ego mind die. And again, maybe we should say transmute, you know, because whenever we say death, we have this finite, like, end. It's a wrap. 
but it's really not a rap. It's more of a transmutation, right? And so whenever you have this uh, ability to transmute the ego, you have the ability to transmute the collective consciousness. Right, right. You have the ability to transmute the family life, to mm -hmm. transmute some of the toxic agendas. Like, right. this is how this should be because you're a man. Right. Like, that shit is all toxic. And it's mm -hmm. arbitrary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that really the truth? Right. Because we have many men all around the world, and not all of us see it that way. Exactly. So who's making the definition of what you say I should be? Right. And that's all man shit. That's all man shit based on geography, based on culture, yeah. based on who raised you. Based on all that shit that is... And, and this is the thing. It was taught to you by somebody who didn't even do the research to learn about it. Right. Right. So you just like regurgitating shit that people that taught you it didn't even know how to do it them damn selves. Right, right. Like especially in our culture, right? Um, here's a good one for mental health, right? Go pray about it. And if you say like I need a therapist, oh, what you crazy or something? Yeah. Like oh, you need to just go to Jesus with it, put it on the pulpit. <laughs> and and if you don't, then you crazy like Uncle Tim over there in the corner, and you, and they gonna talk bad about you at the parties and shit. Right. And so then you even develop that fear. Oh, I can't go to the therapist because the family like we don't do that in black folk culture. And so you have all these uh, these arbitrary bullshit experiences that we're putting on ourselves right. that don't actually support the growth of our ego. And again, it's not the death; it's really just the maturity. Right. Like we got to grow the fuck up. We can't always be the twelve year old boy. Like look at our look at the men of the baby boomer generation. They have the emotional intelligence of 12-year-old boys trying to prove themselves in high school right. or in junior high. Mm -hmm. like, that's how they are. Like They do not want to confront the actual situation. Right. They just want to get puffy. They want to assert themselves. They want to just beat at the chest. Yeah. But the 12-year-old is made to be that way because it's 12. <laughs> but as the 12-year-old becomes 13, he realizes maybe I should like, you know, express myself in another way. And then 14, you're like, oh... Or maybe I should, you know, be a little bit more sensitive as people are affected by the way that I react. Right. You right. know, 15 is, so oh, I have an effect on the world around me. Right, exactly. It's not only about you and your ego, but yeah. it's about how you affect the people around you, yeah. your environment. Yeah. Um, that's where, you know, the separation of the ego starts to take place. Yeah. And when we talk about the separation of the ego and understanding identity, right, personal identity... Um, do you think the alienation of the environment around you, which is you more pointing towards your ego, do you see that um, becoming more prevalent in Western society, particularly in the States, than before? Yeah, big time. Because it is always about, like, what can I attain, mm. period. Like, what can I physically attain? Like, okay. I need physical items that give me a desire that make me feel comfortable and safe. Mm -hmm. So that's super toxic because, once again, it's making us feel that we got to go out and get something, right? Mm -hmm. We got to work hard for it. We got to produce. And at the end of the day, do you? Like, do you, though? And who says that, once right. again? Like, going back right to it. And the fact that we have identified so much with these objects being separate the technology being advanced and we're not apparently right. um, not adapting our technology to us, but yet we're adapting to it by sitting in these little weird spaces with it. Right. Just actually fundamentally not understanding what the technology is. Mm. Having these things as tangible, right? <clears throat> it just so happens to be in the reality that we're in. Mm. We're in a dense 
physical world. Not all worlds are dense. Not all worlds are physical. That's a thing. We don't talk about it on Earth, but it's a thing in the universe. And so here, it's specifically dense because it's made of the material world. And we're here to experience it. Right. And so just because it's a manifestation of something does not mean that we're separate from it. Right. And so being able to get back to that atomic level, like I have the same atoms in my body as a goldfish. The goldfish has the same atoms in its body as the star. And the star has the same atoms in its body as the center of our Milky Way galaxy. And then our Milky Way galaxy is a part of a cluster of galaxies. So once again, the macros versus the micros, right? Mm -hmm. The in, I mean, the above and the below. Um, the yin and the yang, all these things, you know, they, they come together uh, as a construct. And so as we're growing, we're supposed to be able to understand this physical world and then also understand our inner world and then blend them together. Because at the end of the day, we can literally telepathically send messages to each other. So if you can do that, why do you really need to send a text? Right. But because we've, we've allowed the technology to be so mesmerizing to us that we actually forget that we're the ones that's creating even the construct for this shit to work. Right. A computer is made of quartz crystals, gold, and silicone and shit. Like, it's literally made from this shit that I got on my neck, this right. crystal. Same thing. So you're telling me that this crystal has the ability to transmute power and identify zeros and ones. Must mean the crystal can think. Because how else would it be able to process zeros and ones in a computer if it didn't already have that technology written within its DNA? Right. You know? You know, just following up on that and following up on the fact that there's intelligence outside of us, this back of, of, of skin, right? Yeah. As we uh, described it before. What do you think is the role of psychedelics when it comes to understanding your cosmic self? Yeah. Oh, huge role. Huge role. Because it, it breaks apart the, the barrier of the ego. Mm. You know, there's many, many things that can happen in a psychedelic experience. But for me, I like the preference that anyone who is listening to this first, it's not a game. It's not a toy. It's not... A fun thing to do on the weekends. I mean, right. it could be that. But it's medicine. It's information. And when you really understand this, the chemical, right? The chemical, going back down to that chemical, that second dimension reality. It has intelligence there that you do not know anything about. Right. And once you're able to unlock it, you realize that it's like a key to a certain area of your brain that releases chemicals to stimulate dimethyltryptamine, DMT, which is also known as the spirit molecule, which also uh, helps to synthesize uh, psilocybin, if that's the one you're taking, mm -hmm. or LSD, which are all little tiny chemicals. And so all these chemicals are stimulated from the one base of dimethyltryptamine. And it is the base molecule that releases from your pineal gland, which is a po a, it's a connected to your third eye, so that's, that's, you know, interesting news. Mm -hmm. what, what is that for? That sounds like technology to me. Yeah. You're saying my third eye that's supposed to give me insight has a chemical in it that actually allows me to perceive more light? Right, right. Because that's what it does. It literally opens up an area of your brain. The pineal gland is specifically made to perceive light. And so 
Even whenever you're going to sleep at night, you close your eyes and the light is being blocked. So your pineal gland is registering, oh, we're not getting that much light. Mm-hmm. Let's start to slowly release melatonin. You know, let's start to bring it down. And then once we get tired, we're going to release full doses of melatonin so you go to sleep. Right, right. And so all this is triggered based on the light that you're receiving. And so whenever you turn on the pineal gland and release dimethyltryptamine, it expands. It mm-hmm. opens up like a pine cone. And then you start receiving more light, more information. Uh, do you think, first of all, do you think that we're the only ones that have evolved due to our intake of psychedelics? And, and, and what does that look like? Like, is that something, like, do you feel that our ancestors really relied yeah. on psychedelics to evolve Big time. mentally? It was medicine. Maybe even spiritually? Yeah. It was that, medicine. You know, the role that psychedelics had on the creation of religion, maybe. Exactly. You know, thinking that they're seeing exactly. gods or, you yeah. know, people not from this earth. All the above. Exactly. All the above. And it was it was literally called medicine because it was used under the construct of healing the body, healing the mind, healing the psyche, healing the emotion. They knew that you're a human, so you're going to go through these experiences. Why not use the gifts that the earth has given in order for us to connect more with what's already in our body? Mm. Like, that's the illusion. People are like, oh, you took a thing and it made you all high. No, I have receptors in my body to accept that. Mm. That's the thing. Like, right. if I wasn't supposed to take it, my body wouldn't have receptors for it. Yeah. Period. Like, yeah. with um, with dimethyltryptamine, with psilocybin, with cannabinoids, like... THC and the cannabinoids that are made up of like the CBD and all these little functions, it actually is a system that is really programmed to your endocrine system. And your endocrine system is your hormonal system. And your hormones are your emotions and feelings and your health. So I was like, oh, this is some bullshit. Like we finally came out with the science, but we're not talking about how we have the receptors in our body and our endocrine system to receive the cannabinoid from the marijuana or the cannabis plant that actually helps to influence the process of our releasing emotion. Mm. Oh shit. And tension in our body. Oh shit. But but wouldn't that be, you know, obviously there's addiction when it comes to anything. Yeah. And everything. And many of those things are legal, by the way. But why do you think psychedelics, if they encourage people like you and me to think outside of the box with our third eye, and, yeah, and we, as a result, evolve at a quicker speed. Why yeah. do you think that's so discouraged in a society? Well, once again, divide and. You can't have people thinking outside of the box. You can't have people knowing their true power, knowing that they can actually self-manifest. If you had a generation like the 70s and the 60s and 70s, and this is why the the government agencies push so hard to to dilute this experience mm-hmm. and make it and to victimize it and to demonize it, right? They went so hard because they can't have motherfuckers thinking for themselves. Like, oh free thinkers? Oh we're all one? Oh you don't want to work for me? Oh the cog can't keep spinning? Oh you guys are a threat. Mm-hmm. You guys are a threat to our whole thing. I mean like I think the seventies, you know, early seventies was was a time where you can see psychedelics were publicly promoted or publicly accepted well, than, no. than it is now. Well, no, they, they weren't even, they weren't publicly accepted at all. 
it was just everyone it was, seen was publicly, doing it. Right, yeah. it was seen publicly, so yeah. there was more exposure to that. Yeah. And around that time, there were there was like a birth of all of these rights. Exactly. You know, of, of people protesting the Vietnam mm-hmm. War, yeah. uh, protesting, uh, you know, racist laws, yeah. uh, you know, the, because the, the remnants that, of Jim Crow laws. Because that expansion, right? right. The expansion of your, of your consciousness based on what you can see. You know, right. again, the pineal gland is perceiving light. Once again, everything is light. Sound mm-hmm. is light. The sun is light. People's reflections are light experiences are like little photons and shit and so everything that you're doing feeling vibrations is light mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so whenever you come into this identity of uh of self-creation and self-expansion you realize that there is no division between us right 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 and there you saw no that separation. you see you saw the empathy yeah within those groups that were publicly Immense empathy showing like that overnight. they were psychedelics yeah literally overnight you would right. hear people and be like i literally woke up and i was completely changed mm. I was completely different, and I had so much love for the world. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we're not here trying to promote. We're just no, speaking sure from what right? we know, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, psychedelics is also known to uh, treat depression, yeah, PTSD. Uh, you know, there's studies in that. You can yeah. obviously search for yourself. Um, there's a lot of studies. So many, even even getting people off of addictions. Right. They would use DMT or ayahuasca ceremonies. And these people will literally not have this addiction anymore immediately. Right. I mean, but again, again, there are some people who do it, heal themselves, but then go back to those triggers, those environments, and they put themselves right back in it. But right. that's a, that's a cycle. That's a loop. Okay. So, yeah, it's um, it's greatly influencing, like, mental clarity. So, yeah, and with that said, I just want to make it very clear. Uh, it is against the law in New York to possess yes. any amount of psychedelic, especially psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah. Um, so this means that if you're found to be cultivating them or you have them in some other form, such as dried or cooked, yeah. you will face a possession charge regardless of the amount. And yeah. if that amount goes up, then you're possibly looking at felony charges. Yeah. So I think that's my responsibility to alert everyone. No, uh, I agree. About the legal status of, of yeah. psychedelics. And also, to be responsible. This is this is one of the main issues that we have with people doing something because our ancestors did this in a... It was a shamanistic ritual type setting. Mm. So they would prep, right? They wouldn't just be like, yo, I had a crazy ass week. I got into an argument. Let's go do some shrooms and shit. Mm. Yo, you about to really release some emotions that week. Right. All those emotions from that week are coming up today. Right. And are you really ready for that? Like, are you really want to put yourself in it? Not only is they going to come up, but now you're going to go to the club where you're overly stimulated. Right. Taking in too much feedback. Mm-hmm. And so you're not using it responsibly. So to use it responsibly is to go to someone who knows what the hell they're doing. Right. Someone who maybe do rituals. Someone who may be a shamanist or a shaman or someone that you can trust, right? Because this is all an experience of being vulnerable. You're opening up your consciousness, right. uh, consciousness, man. So it's real delicate. Yeah. And also, because you're dealing with trauma and emotions, if you're not dealing with certain things that happened to you as a child and you take these substances, it's going to bring that up. Right. And a lot of times, that's the bad trip. Right, yeah. And, and you know, so you have to ask yourself if you're prepared for that. Am if you're I? prepared for that journey. Yeah. The same way, you know, my understanding uh, when, when it comes to practices dealing with shamans, um, I think uh, ayahuasca, mm-hmm. that's how you say yeah. ayahuasca, yeah. you have to cleanse. Yeah. Before you actually mentally, physically, mentally, emotionally. physically, emotionally cleanse yeah. before you actually go through that uh, 
ritual. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's important for people to know. Yeah, it is. Because once again, if you don't, you're going to bring up those emotions. You're going to bring right. up that those traumas. And again, we're all addicted to something, right? That's why we have these patterns and habits. Right. So your patterns and habits and your vices, they're not just vices. They're your emotional like drawbacks. They're right. your emotional uh, mechanisms that you go to whenever you are feeling a certain way. Right. So if you haven't cleansed, then it's going to double time that emotion for you because right. it's still there. And on top of that, the vice is holding on. Right. So my understanding, my initial understanding with my limited knowledge, right, is that psychedelics helps you connect with the universe. You're yeah. begin, you begin to appreciate more yeah, uh, what's outside of you as opposed to, um, for example, like if you take an edible, um, you, you may start looking more inward. Yeah. And you start finding shit that you didn't want to find or you didn't think you was going to find. Yeah. And um, that introspective journey can be very painful. Yeah. But Necessary. you may come out of it. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, you may come out of it as, you know, feeling as if you just did 10 hours of therapy yeah. within one bad four-hour trip. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. But, but you may come out of it as a better person because now you've kind of seen these demons, you've battled yeah. with them, yeah. you're aware, yeah. you know, and you acknowledge what's going on with you, and yeah, hopefully exactly. that can, you know, give you a chance to change, change and some things. Yeah, that's the, that's the point, right? That's yeah. why I was used as medicine, mm. so it can give you insight of what's going on with you, mm. so you can learn more of yourself, and that's why they did it in a confined, in a, in a very calm setting, and also knowing that each substance has a different effect. Right. Like peyote is different from mushrooms. Mm. Mushroom is different from acid. Right. Acid is different from ayahuasca. But they all stem from dimethyltryptamine. They just have extra molecules and atoms on it that make it a little bit different. Mm. And so, for instance, um, you can actually not come out on that side, right? You can have this experience where you have this four-hour therapy session that really was 10 hours or you can deal with that, and whenever you come out, you can actually go more psychotic. Mm -hmm. You can start losing your shit because you're not ready to process that. But you, but you opened up a fucking trick bag. So I was right. like, once you ring the bell, you can't unring it. Mm -hmm. The shit is now open, and now you're gonna have to see it. You're either gonna see it in the psychological patterns, or you're gonna heal. So it's it's a two way street. Right. So it it depends on the user and their and their awareness of that. You right. Know? right, right, right. So it's always literally it's be responsible. Yeah, yeah. Be responsible, but that's with everything, right? Right. You know, and that's also a form of self love. Be responsible with anything you undertake and yeah. do your homework. You know, because again, facts. Um, you know, physically, like where are you? You know, exactly. are you going to get a reaction that you're not ready for? Yeah. Um, yep. Not only just mentally or spiritually, psychologically, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. So um, many things. So that's on you. But um, that being a, a form of self-love, talk to me how important self-love is in your work. Oh, man, it's the, it's the pinnacle. If you don't have self-love, then you can't love and you can't have empathy for anything else. Right. And that's just something that I've just learned, you know, just through my whole learning process, you know. Without empathy, which is a muscle, it's a part of your brain that you can strengthen. Right. Then you can't see. You can't see. 
because you're only logically trying to make sense of rationalization. But with empathy, it gives you more information about a setting, right? Right. Like if you sit in a room and you sit there and you have harsh judgments about everyone, mm -hmm. you're going to see a specific room. Right. You're going to see a specific setting. You're going to see all people's flaws and cues and the things that annoy the shit out of you. But if you sit in that same room, like I've actually done this test on myself where I sat there and I was critical. And then I sat there in a crowd, you know, I was on a panel while I was, you know, looking out at the crowd. Then I sat there with an open heart and soft eyes to where whenever I looked at people, I looked through them. And maybe I gazed into their eyes and saw something. And then I just sensed, like, what do I feel in the environment? What do I feel in my skin? Like, how do I feel about this person that I'm looking at? Mm -hmm. What kind of feedback is it giving me? Because I look at this person, and I kind of get a little triggered. Because I actually have issues with white men, apparently, because he's a white male. And I'm triggered by him. This is an example. This is an example. <laughs> no, complete example. And, so, and then I look at uh, the black male, right? right? And I'm like, ooh. I find I'm comparing myself, but that's my brother, right? Supposedly. Right. But I, why am I comparing myself to this one, but yet triggered by this one, and I'm not comparing myself to him at all? In fact, I'm almost in the belief that I'm superior to this guy that I'm over here triggered by, who's the white male. And then I'm looking at this plethora of women, and then I'm getting feedback from my ego mind, you know, my, my physical mind. Oh, she's really attractive. I love her shoes. Oh, I love the way she carries herself. And then I'm like, but now look at how you're even getting this feedback. Are you seeing them or are you just admiring some things that they have? Mm -hmm. But yet the feedback you were getting from the men was very emotional. Right. And so being able to really like even decide, decipher that for myself, like, oh, word, feedback. Oh, okay, I'm getting this experience, that experience. And so by, by allowing yourself to have this full, this full epiphany of the situation by viewing with empathy, you see things differently. Like, I, I witnessed a lot of myself by having empathy for the people, by just noticing them, by judging them first and then seeing them in love. And so even the, the women that I found that were attractive or the man that I saw that I was comparing to, I would then go, you know what, but he is my brother. There is nothing to compare. Right. He right. is having his experience and I'm having mine. And she is my sister. I'm actually not interested in her in any sexual or attraction way. I see her heart. I see her, her, her beauty. I see that she has been hurt. She has been loved. She has had the same experience as me and that guy. And I see it from a different perspective. And so it allows me to even interact. Even the way I started answering my questions was different, right? I started to care more about how I'm delivering my message so that I can I can be received by people because now I see that maybe we're all just kind of hurting right now. Right, right. And then that empathy allows me to change not only my inner perspective but how I interact with the world. So. Right, yeah. And, and you know, that inner perspective is so important because it's, you know, it starts from there, I think. The way you talk to yourself yeah. is negative. Then you could only imagine that you're going to continue that when you're projecting onto others. Facts. You know, sometimes I sit and and the best way to acknowledge that you engage in a lot of negative self-talk is by journaling. Because yeah. you start to see what you're thinking about as you're writing it. Yeah. You know, and you would say to yourself, this, well, this is not loving. How much of this is based out of fear? You know, and, and also relationships help you as well. 
because Facts. you know in conversation especially Facts. if you're a lot more vulnerable in your situations you you know you're a lot more open with you know what I can't do that or I'm probably going to fail at this and if you're in a healthy relationship that person yeah. is going to check you on that Big you know time. why because eventually if you're only highlighting what can possibly go wrong in your life and not focusing too much on your strengths and what can possibly be done yeah. then you're also treating that person with that same state of mind. Yep. So um, I think it's very important for you to attack that negative self-talk from within. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and a lot of us don't even acknowledge it. No. Now you have to do the work no. to see no. what you're telling yourself. You do. Like, I like how you, how you use journaling. It's funny enough, um, there was a bunch of things. I used to journal a lot whenever I was younger. Poems, uh, through music. And I went back, like, 2003 and shit, right? And I was just reading some of those writings. And I'm like... Yo, I was sad as a motherfucker. Mm. Like, I was actually sad. Like, completely sad. Utterly sad. Just reading my words, I'm like, damn, son. You was sad as shit. Mm. But then I also was able to be like, yo, but you also came out of that. Mm. Like, that's cool. Like, you're not, you don't feel that way anymore, actually. You can read these words and be like, yeah, I actually don't feel like that no more. Mm. Oh, yeah, these words of sadness and me missing and me longing and all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't feel that way. And so that, that feedback was great because, that once again, that introspection, that ability to get it out and then go back. And I actually had to burn all that stuff because I was holding on to it, right? Right, right. And when I went back to read it, I was like, yo, I'm holding on to this. So the only way, you know, and especially my, my culture of my Mayan heritage, mm -hmm. it's like sacrifice it. You got to burn it. Mm -hmm. And so I just did. I was like, I got to burn all this energy. All these emotions, all these pain. I got to give it to my ancestors. I got to give it to the earth. I got to give it to the universe. I got to be done with it because I actually don't feel that way. So it should not exist anymore. Right, right. Yeah. I am not that. That's great, man. You know, listen, I've seen significant improvement in my life when I learned to talk to myself gently. Yeah. Um, not only my confidence, but my ability to create healthy boundaries right. with others. Right. Man, it has helped me to, to become the better version of myself, um, to be better for others, yeah. you know, to be more loving, to have more empathy. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, so. That's huge. Mm -hmm. It's the way to go, man. Like, love, self-love, but self-criticism is important, too. It is, it is. Because the scientists, or like, for me, uh, I like to say that I'm a practitioner and a practitioner of alchemy, mm -hmm. you know, being the, the Allah, which is the God, the spirit, the chem, the chemical, you know, that's why I reference it a lot, the chemical world, the second dimension, right. um, learning how that plays an integral part of my experience and my understanding of this world around us. And the one thing that really brought it all together was I needed to be so critical mm -hmm. in a healthy way right. to check my shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to be stubborn enough to say, you know what, yo, oh, you was really wrong, dude. Like, let's just put it all on the table. Right. Let's just be real honest with yourself, right? Like, let's just be real, real, oh. Like, that wasn't cool. You actually did yourself a disservice there. You actually lied about that. Actually, what you should have did was maybe you should have came at that with a new perspective. And honestly... Your integrity's all off, bro. And just like being like really critical of the times where I knew I needed to improve. And also knowing how not to be critical of making myself feel bad. Mm -hmm. Mm 
mm-hmm. that was a whole other thing. Guilt trip, right? Shame. Yeah. And so I had to do a lot of work with shame and guilt and, and, and let go of that. Right. Because I thought it was real. So it's like almost giving yourself constructive feedback. Exactly. Learning how to do that without, you know, because you know when someone's coming at you with the intent to help you, to empower, mm-hmm. to encourage you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to make you better, to refine your vision. Yeah. Versus someone that is there to just point out everything that's wrong with you. Exactly. Um, you know, and or just instill fear based on what could happen. Yeah. This is probably going to happen. And, you know, like an alarmist. We've all been yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've all dealt with them. Exactly. So exactly. the same way you check them, you should be checking yourself. Always. Yeah, for sure. But I have this saying, and this is something that um, I was around the age of 34, going through a lot of stuff, and I just had to come to this agreement. I was like, yo, oh. You have to start, you have to, you have to create boundaries, right? I had to create a boundary for myself. I had to say, you have to be strong and stubborn enough to tell your ego sometimes to shut the fuck up, get in line, do not treat yourself that way, do not go down that rabbit hole of insecure thoughts, do not start focusing on those problems and blaming your spouse or your kids, do not start blaming work. Like, really going in, like, do not do that. Be stubborn enough to say, yo, I'm calling you out, son. Mm-hmm. But also being gentle enough to say to your inner child, like, you know what? I understand. Right. It's okay. Right. And knowing the difference. Knowing whenever you actually are dealing with a child versus dealing with the stubborn-ass ego. Mm. And knowing how not to do what you do with the stubborn ego to what you do with the child. Right. Like, don't yell at the child. Right. Don't be mad at the child for... Maybe not getting the damn uh, question right, or maybe um, you know, reacting. Or uh, here's one I told my friend, and I, I won't disclose any names, obviously. But I was like, "Don't hate your child, and don't criticize yourself, and have guilt because you had sex with that person." She's like, "But I went outside of my boundaries." I'm like, "Yeah." So why stick to the boundary? Again, stubborn enough to say no, but understand that, like, I know you want this. You know, I know, you, I know this is something you want, but this is not going to help support us. Like, this is a, this is a pattern. Mm-hmm. This is a habit. This doesn't actually make us feel good about ourselves long term. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? I'm going to need to just say no. And so you see how that works in. It's a different situation. Right. But you're still battling with the ego and the child. Mm-hmm. But you're not saying to the child, you stupid motherfucker, I can't believe your stupid ass. Like, look right. at you again, you weak ass. You, you always fail. You always crumble. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you don't do that. And then be at the ego like, yeah, that shit was good. Right. You see how you, yeah, you can get anything, anybody. And so it's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And this is the conversation we're normally having, right? Right. The shit on the child, big up the ego. And it should be the other way around. So going back to, to your mindfulness practice, yeah. I know it's important for folks to let go, right? There's always a lot of talk about the role of letting go. But some folks do not want to let go of their experiences, Mm -hmm. their trauma. They're defined by it, and they're okay with that. Yeah. You know, and it explains, uh, maybe it explains the type of situation they're in. Maybe it justifies why they're having some difficulties in some areas. Yeah. uh, Be it financial, physical, emotional, psychological. You know, it helps many fighters to get themselves ready for for battle right like their trauma revisiting that trauma and doing anything to that trauma could possibly affect them in a way where they're not as active as as passionate about that cause that fight than they would have been uh if there was no trauma yeah no letting go is um 
It could be a a deterrent or it can be a motivator, mm. you know. Um, and it's vital to the process because if you don't let go, if you don't process, right, and we, we think about it from a physiological standpoint, I like to tell people that your food is chemical, right? We all can agree that your food is made out of chemicals. You eat it. It breaks down into chemicals. Your body recycles it, and it lets out shit through the process of your intestines, right? right, right. It lets out physiological feces. Now, emotions are also chemical, and they also are processed. They need to go through your digestive system and need to be released mm. physically in your feces, right. but also emotionally within your mind and your emotional body. The chemicals of your emotions have to be let out. Okay. And if not, then they cause havoc. And then they cause constructs to be built, right? Mm-hmm. These Going back to the ego. Right. The ego doesn't want to let go because it believes that without that, it's not real. Mm-hmm. So I need that abuse. I need that experience. I need that victimhood. I need that separation. I need that fear in order to define who I am. Listen, yeah, and then you see it, man. Many folks are out here... Hardcore advocates for certain causes as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, folks are selling a lot of books, <laughs> exploiting, you know, their trauma, you yeah. know. So, yeah. I don't know. Is that Does that incentivize not resolving, not letting go? Well, because that's the thing, you know. And I, I was having a conversation with one of the mastermind brothers, uh, Mike, Mike McConnell. and mm-hmm. Shout out to him. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And he, um, oh, man, he said, he's like, you know, people can... Uh, get, like, so used to healing. And I'm like, word up, homie. Like, I've been trying to tell people that forever. You're addicted to the healing process. You're addicted to going to the AA meetings. You're not actually utilizing the tools and getting the information and bettering yourself to where you don't have to ever go. You want to rely on this shit for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a lot of people do. They get into this process of wanting to heal and get addicted to the process of healing. And so, therefore, the construct of never letting go is still uh, fashioned by the ego. Because mm-hmm. it's like, see, we're holding on, we're here. Right. This is our bag. We ain't never letting this shit go. This yeah. is our trauma. Yeah, I'm right. going to preach it to the world. Right. I'm going to preach my story. Everybody going to hear it. Yeah. I'm going to tell the whole world. Right. And so it's like, nah, put that bag down. Yeah. Change the story. Change the narrative. Do something different. Right. But look at the look at the world right now. Yeah. The, the, that whole construct, still the same thing. doesn't want to die wants to hold on for dear life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So letting go is the only way to move forward. Right. And along those, those same lines, just maybe questioning whether, questioning the difference between there being a purpose, your purpose, and distinguishing that. I think it's important to ask yourself whether what you're doing is your purpose or is it simply a trauma response yeah and if so if you're like me or like many who want to live intentionally in this world not reacting to stuff exactly what does that mean for you yeah and what does that mean for your self-conception going forward yeah but i think if everyone had this self-curiosity then we would have the ability to learn faster heal faster and grow faster because that's what it comes down to is this it's the process of adaptation, right? Right. We adapt. Mm-hmm. That's all we're doing here. Yeah. We're just learning. Our souls are learning. Our our species is learning. Yeah. And we're at a phase that if we don't rapidly change how we're learning and how we're implementing into nature, how we're reacting to our environment, then again we're gonna literally take ourselves out 
and it will it would only be our fault. Talking about learning, and you've talked a lot about the anatomy. Yeah. And I wasn't the, quite the best student when it came to anatomy. Um, I'm learning so much from you as yeah. we sit down here this morning. What do you think is the importance of anatomy and emotional intelligence? Oh, they're vital. Like, for one, knowing that your anatomy has a construct and a part of itself that is emotionally sophisticated. Like, the right side of your brain, its whole function is to understand emotions, understand five-dimensional spaces, color, creativity, expansion. It's like... It's under, it has all these fundamental principles. And your right side is more of the logic, the rationalization, the, the, the constructs of science and math, you know, one, two, three, A, B, C, right. dot, dot, dot. And so you blend them together in order to make sense of the world, right? Because you're having the experience of logic and the experience of emotion. Mm -hmm. And you're making sense of all the information. And so if you don't ever grow the right side of your brain by utilizing your emotions intelligently, utilizing empathy, understanding that your limbic system will give you an experience. And if you don't know how to check yourself, then you are going to make that rash decision that you see a lot with your clients. Right, right. Because that system is firing. That system is taking you over. And if you don't know how that system works, then you're always going to be susceptible to reacting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And reacting is a form of fear. Yeah. You're terrified of your life. And why? Because maybe the situation isn't that terrifying. Maybe you're just having an abnormal reaction. Right. Yeah. Maybe you're just having a traumatic reaction. And understanding your anxiety levels, uh, where that comes from, yeah. how to manipulate them. But literally the part of the body that it releases anxiety. It speaks to anxiety. emotional intelligence, yeah. Yeah, like knowing that your adrenals above your kidneys are releasing adrenaline and are helping to bring in cortisol. Right. From this part, this is why right here, whenever you get tense, it gets kind of gross in your stomach and you mm -hmm. get naughty. Mm -hmm. And maybe you feel like you got to throw up or shit. You're not really sure, but it's gross. And it's happening right here because that's the system okay. that's overworking. Right. So by knowing the anatomy, I can be like, yo, I'm actually, I'm like tense right here. It's like hard to breathe in my diaphragm. I feel like a lot of tension in my lower back right there. Yo, I'm having a sympathetic nervous system response. Like mm -hmm. I'm feeling I'm coming in danger right now. Why? Why am I? It was just an email, you know? Like, it yeah, was it was a email, shitty email, right. but it was just an email. Right. Like, why am I having a physiological reaction like I'm in danger from this? And then being able to decipher that, right? And, and also just to add to that, and then here comes Charlie, and I playfully tap you in your head, like I always do, but this time, yeah. this is not the right time. Not the right time. Not the right time. I learned right. that in class once. Um, Seen so many fights like that in high school. Yeah. No, big time. I, um... I actually had to learn that as, a, as an educator, as an instructor, because there was a, a, a young kid that I knew, and we were always joking, right? And at one point, I just noticed, like, I was trying to pep him up, but he was a little down. I'm not really sure what happened. But at one point, I was like, yo, what's up, son? Like, come on. Like, what's going on? And I gave him a poke, and he, like, yelled. He's like, why would you do that? Oh, my God. I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry, my brother. Like, you know what? You're right. That was not right of me to violate your personal space. But you've done that many times, but yeah. not that time. At that time, he and, and come to find out, you know, it was some trauma at home. It was some abuse at home. And he doesn't have the space to relay that to his teacher right. or to his instructor. Right. Like, he was just in the moment of his feelings. Right. And here I am, enforcing myself on him. And, 
And I had to really check even myself and then apologize twice. Even after class, I was like, well, you know, I need to, I need to let you know as a man, like, I apologize for violating your personal space. And I don't want our relationship ever to be tarnished because I did something that disrespected you. Mm-hmm. And I need to come to you and apologize as a man because I noticed that you didn't like that. He's like, no, nah, I didn't like it. I was just going through it. Like, I just, I just, normally it's cool. You know, we, we, yeah. you're a cool dude. Like, you know, you always help us, but I'm just not feeling it. I'm like, and I respect that. And thank you. Thank you for expressing yourself in that way. Because you know what? I wasn't offended that you yelled. I was actually more shocked because I, I, I offended you. I hurt you. Like, I made you feel that you weren't safe. Mm-hmm. And my bad, little, little homie. And he was like, word up. No, it's all good. But, you know, you know. I'm going to have to just work on it because it's some stuff. Mm. And I'm like, yo, that's what's up. Mm. And so that, like that feedback right there taught me a lot too, you know. But knowing the body, knowing who you are, where you are, how you're reacting, areas of your body, areas of your emotional intelligence, and allowing, like again, allowing someone to have the ability to express their emotions, right? Right. That conversation helped that kid gain emotional intelligence because I didn't, disrespect his reaction either I didn't say his reaction was crazy I didn't say his reaction was unjustified I didn't say his reaction wasn't valid right said no you're completely valid in what you felt in that moment see that alone tells me that you should be doing uh, not only corporate wellness but you should be doing educational wellness talking to these teachers on how to react to these students in these these public schools or even private schools but you know whichever school that's really a place where uh young people go through yeah. and they come from really hard situations yeah. um, they need to understand this very holistic way of dealing yeah. with their students yeah no it's huge we actually did develop a teacher development okay okay and um we the school that we rolled it out to was the brooklyn brownstone in in bedstock and you should see their instagram sign mm-hmm. like they do all the tools the teachers are like yo honestly i need to like check my emotions and like maybe have a little five second me break before I mm-hmm. go into class right. because I got a little worked up in that yeah. argument with my husband on the right. way to work exactly. this morning. Exactly. And so I shouldn't actually put that on the kids because they didn't deserve that. Right. And they want to feel safe with me. So I can't be putting out my shit like that. Right, right, right. And so we've had like the professional development courses for these teachers and then we started to notice like in action that they're actually doing the stuff. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Talking about the economy. Um, do you see that there's a shift towards a more spiritual economy, specifically Western culture as it relates to the states, where people are employing people like you yeah. to come talk about this and educate yeah. them? And, and, and if so, why is that? What's driving this? I know the suicide rates have gone up. Uh, depression rates uh, can be a, a possible reason. The fact that companies are less loyal to their employees than ever before. Yeah, I'm sure it's another reason. Yeah, there's a shift. Okay, there's sorry. a shift for sure. Um, it's gradual, and it seems like it's not happening mm-hmm. because we're like kind of in the, the middle of the tornado, right? right? We're in the storm. So right. it's hard to notice the light whenever you got all the darkness of the clouds. So recognizing that there is light peeking through because there are many people like me. You know, there are many people who have their own passion, who have their own ideas, who are doing what they can to give what they've learned. And so it's like little candle lights, you know, being sparked all around the globe. Right. And we're all going in and doing our part and doing our work. And we're all subtly making these changes to where eventually we will be the CEOs. Mm-hmm. You know, we will be the people that have been with the company for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, all a, it's all climactic, right? There's so much climax to everything. And so it's important that 
our economy starts to shift its perspective on things that we find valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, Going with suicides, like Mm -hmm. suicide rate is crazy high right now. And it's high for specific systematic uh, issues. It's high because there are certain things in place that don't give people the stability of comfort, um, the stability of understanding how to deal with stuff while being overworked, but also needing to understand this whole quarantine pandemic and then also racial injustice Mm -hmm. and also the election and the tension behind what's happening with our leaders and how it's really, in my opinion, is terribly being terribly led. And so it's, it's, it's so much climax that if we don't start shifting where we utilize our, our money, our tools, our resources and giving people the ability to, uh, sustain at least some type of mental and emotional health, then we'll see more of that collapse. But the reason that it's escalating so much right now is because the climax. It's like everything is building up. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's called threshold. Whenever we think about it from anatomy, you know, you reach a threshold where you're you just can't take anymore. Right. And then after that, it's a skydive. Mm-hmm. You know, we can even look at it with the stock market, right? Right. And you see like people are overbuying. And suddenly it reached that threshold, and then it just shot all the way back down because people got scared, people started dumping, you know, news came out, whatever the situation may be, it's all reaction. So if we don't start utilizing those tools to help people at a fundamental level, then we will see more declines in corporate productivity, we will see more decline in in, uh, employee fatigue, we will see more decline in uh, output. Right. You know, and and we will see more decline in uh, loyalty mm. from the employee standpoint. Right. Like, why am I going to stay with a company I can't grow with? Yeah, yeah. Why am I going to stay with a company that doesn't actually care about how I feel and my emotions and and how all these microaggressions and these systematic cultural BSs that make you feel maybe dismissed right. or maybe you don't feel safe about expressing that because you're a woman and if you do you're going to be painted like the woman who's over emotional like all these stupid systems right Right. and so um you will find a a lot of backlash and then therefore you will see it in your productivity in your Mm -hmm. company overall value right and so it's important yeah and speaking of companies you do a lot of work with bringing mindfulness uh, and wellness to uh various companies and i'm curious to know about that yeah, yeah. Well, that that platform is something that just kind of came together so beautifully. Working with partners, working with my own uh, clients uh, that were massage therapy practitioner or patients of mine, and just really utilizing my my network and learning through my massage therapy practice, mm-hmm. I started noticing the physiological issues people would develop by having these corporate like habits. But I also would recognize that their stress levels would escalate to the physical. Mm-hmm. And so getting them to understand that while in therapy, we would like hit on a trigger point that would remind them of something that happened that they held on to. And I'm like, oh, so if you let it go, then watch what happens. And they'll let it go mentally and suddenly the muscle releases. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you see how that works? They're like, oh shit, that's crazy. And I'm like, it actually is crazy. It's crazy that we don't know that that happens. (laughs) And so that was one of the reasons why I started to realize that like the corporate process needs to happen like we need to go into the corporations and we need to actually give people tools because they don't have to come see me as a therapist right right. you know the reason they're coming to see me is because of tension a lot of times it's overwork 
because I also work with athletes and people with medical conditions, their medical conditions were a lot of times because they had too much stress or too much something mm-hmm. that was overbearing. Right. And so the corporate culture and us doing work in the corporate culture was really just providing the tools of what it means to have mental health, mm-hmm. what it means to have mental illness, the difference between mental health and mental illness. And also we lead with tools like understanding your climax in the environment that you're in and how that may even have an effect on your work pro- your workload. It's going to have an effect on your productivity rate. Right. If you don't feel good, you literally can't use certain parts of your brain. And so you're like kind of working on like, you know, on, on steam. And that's not a good way to work. You need fuel. You right. need those, you need those, that energy. And so giving people in the corporate arena these tools to know how to breathe, these tools to know when to check in with myself, these tools to know when maybe I'm the director and I'm leading shitty. Because maybe I came in and kind of dismissed some of the people's things that they had to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to recognize that. Going back with the teachers, right? We have to also teach our directors and our CEOs and our, and our managers that maybe your energy is making your team defensive. Right. Maybe you having a freakout moment of anxiety is causing an array of freakouts on the smaller level of your team and they don't feel like they can come to you with anything. Right. So therefore, you're now asking 15 times when you should have just asked once. Right. So you find you're creating all these patterns of, of toxic habits and, and, and division of creativity. Like you can't create under stress. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important for employers to show their employees that they really care. Yeah. About them personally. Last week, I had Jason Rosario on you know, he's the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for BBDO. Yeah. And we spoke about the importance of providing psychological yeah. safety yeah. Uh, for these employees, yeah. and especially employees of color who are overwhelmingly dealing with a lot right now. Crazy. Um, and a political climate that uh, finds uh, racial sensitivity to be insensitive to the powers Facts. that be. Um, is that a part of the conversation when you go yeah. in there and you... Like, yeah. Do you really look at the, the CEOs or the the higher ups of these companies and say, "Look, we see them as human. I don't, I don't care about your title. Like right. if you're, if you're bringing me in as a practitioner that is trying to just give tools and knowledge, for one, don't interrupt. Mm. Would you interrupt Steve Jobs giving a talk on something that you don't know about? No. Mm. So we we demand the same platform, and also we demand the fact that you are not your title mm. because you got emotions. Maybe you got kids too. Maybe you got a wife or a husband. Maybe." You can't deal with certain things in a very mindful manner. And so, once again, we're not attacking anyone. Right. We're just giving the tools. This is what happens when you have this. This is what happens how you do this. And this is what happens whenever you get these results. And then, can we just be mindful of everyone? How do you feel when someone does this to you? Right, right. And then if you feel that way, then you should be mindful of how you possibly make other people feel if you do that. Mm. Going back to that emotional intelligence, that empathy. You know, so it's all an intricate part of how we how we relate to each other. Right. And would you say your experience is usually positive, meaning that uh, there is little resistance when implementing these wellness uh, practices that you that, that you're teaching? I, like, how are these companies yeah. responding to you? Even yeah. those that hire you, you know, no, no, like yeah, even no. the individuals that hire you. Right? I actually have not had any particularly. Um, negative feedback per se because we do have some pretty dope platforms mm-hmm. and we do come at a 
with a type of vibe that we're just being real, we're being honest, we're being human. Right. And though we are practitioners, yes, but we still human. We still got to deal with this too. Mm-hmm. I'm still affected by the, the, the debates. I'm still affected by, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff. I'm still defect, uh, affected by all these things. So mm-hmm. we come with, a, with an open door policy of just being honest. Mm-hmm. And so I personally haven't had any kickback. But, you know, every once in a while you'll have that one critic that really wants to be like, well, you know, all lives matter. And it's like, yeah. Say it again. Say it again. All lives matter, right? Say it again. Say it one more time. If all lives matter, right, then why do you put up with us getting beat up in the streets? Us. Us. Exactly. All lives matter. And so stop trying to change the narrative to take the platform away from the things that are important. You know, so we don't, once again, we're not attacking. We're just being real honest, right? Mm-hmm. We're just being real blatant. Like, let's put it on the table. Yes. Thank you for saying so. I agree. <laughs> and so, and then it switches people's defense because before they came in defense, but now they're like, yeah, you're right. Actually, all lives do matter. Yeah, yeah. And so also knowing how to, um, how to read the room, right? We, we have to learn how to read the room as practitioners. We need to learn how to deal with these people as like a group therapy session because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what we treat it as, group therapy. Right. Me and my practitioners are actually licensed marriage and family counselors or they're psychotherapists. Like they do this for a living day to day. So we have the tools, we have the knowledge, we have the experience. And so the companies are just like, they're reveling in it because the information is so vital. They're, they see that their staff is getting something out of it. They see that the CEO actually had an experience with his breathing technique. They see that these people are actually hurting and a little overwhelmed and a little overworked. And so now it's just about changing the culture. Now it's like, okay, well, let's not be in this like hype, right? Let's be culturally responsible. Mm-hmm. Now let's start breaking down some of the gender norms. Let's start breaking down some of the microaggressions, which is AKA racism. You know, let's start breaking down some of these things like don't tell a woman of color that her hair is wild because she has it out that day. Who are you to say her hair is wild because her hair is curly, son? Like, it's none of your damn business what her hair look like. Get the numbers right, right? Get the books. Is she doing a damn job or what? Right. Who cares about her hair? But you know, people say that. Uh, whether it's a, a white man or a white woman, and I've actually heard it from black folks. Mm-hmm. Ooh, why didn't you just get your hair straightened? I'm like, damn, girl. Huh? You see, all these all these things, we're assimilating to a culture that ne- may not necessarily work with us as people of color, but so now it's important that we show them that we are here. You have to now adapt your culture to us. Mm-hmm. And let's just go on a basic employee level. This is just basic employee. Like, I want you to adapt your culture to us because I want you to care about how I feel. Mm-hmm. I want you to care about the fact that I'm overstressed and overworked and that I need time off, but I'm afraid to ask for time off because right now if I do, maybe I won't have a job. And I should be grateful because it's COVID and everybody got furloughed or laid off. And now I should work even harder because I'm doing seven people's job now instead of like having a team to help me do it. Right. But yet I'm a black person in the, in the corporation. So everybody's asking me how you feel. Right. And then I'm like, or, 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 Hey, um, do you want to design a yeah. program to, yeah. to teach to us about what's happening exactly. with uh, the African-American community? And you're like, I have no expertise in this. Or, I didn't go to school for this. Or my, my perspective of being a black person is not the same as everybody else's either. Right. Right? Right. And that's another thing we have to understand. And actually, BBDO is an actual client of mine too. So mm-hmm. to see Jason on the page, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And so even with that group, when we work together... 
it was really about formatting something that was going to benefit the staff, right. like them. What can we do to cater to your needs? Mm-hmm. And so this type of approach allows us to, to not only functionally see some evidence of data, because, you know, we're giving surveys. We're, we're showing that, oh, do you felt this way before? And then you felt this way after? Cool. Do you think that you need some of this? And they're like, yeah, of course. Do you think this can help with team morale? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Great. So now it's about the implementation of the cultural change. All right. And it takes a little time, though. And but you're doing it, doing and you're it. chipping away. You're chipping away at this system that historically has not included a people of color, Facts. and and you're forcing them to like yeah. acknowledge that yes, yeah. we are all humans that deserve respect, even at the workplace. So I know you have to leave. This is your last day in New York, in yeah. the tri-state area. You know, before you leave, I just wanted you to share, if, if possibly so, um, anyone dead or alive who has inspired you, whose life has inspired you, yeah. or who had a specific character trait yeah, yeah, that yeah. you've always wanted to emulate. Um, well, that, that's been a, an ongoing process, mm-hmm. right? As the teacher is, or as the student is ready, the teacher comes. You know, so, excuse me, I've had many, many mentors, dead and alive. Um, One I mentioned earlier, Nikola Tesla. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from this man's productivity. I learned a lot from his ideas. I learned a lot from him. And one of the friends, one of my friends was like, how? And I'm like, because he, I want to do what he did, right? Like, for instance, it was really wrong what happened to him. I'm not denying that. But at the end of the day, I want to just What happened to him? Pretty much got all this stuff stolen. Didn't get any credit for all the amazing things he did. Mm-hmm. He got wrote off as a cuckoo and a quack and pretty much died poor with a bunch of inventions that are literally changing the world to this day. Right. And so he got ousted by, you know, Edison and all those guys because he was smarter than them. He had better inventions and he wasn't about the money. He was like, this should be free. And they were like, hold on, player. <laughs> Lock him away. He's tripping. Right. He has the technology to do it too. No. We got to take all his stuff. Let's come on. But what he really did was he implemented hope. And so I hope that one day, if I not have already influenced one of the kids of my anatomy program, Mm -hmm. or maybe a parent, to possibly change how they see themselves and treat their child or their friend. And then that friend then learns how to maybe do something to their ethos, to their community. And so what happens is, if I can just implement a tiny seed somewhere and see that thing sprout, and in 60 years becomes like something that helps someone not kill themselves or like maybe change their perspective, I don't need no credit. Mm -hmm. I don't need nobody to know, oh, I just know that the energy I put out is going to eventually help like a ripple of the ocean, you know? And so... Through Tesla, he helped me to understand that it's not about my ego needing to have fame. I just need to do what I came here to do. Mm-hmm. And then on that note, my my spiritual guides have been, you know, like they're they come in all forms. I have a shamanist, I have mentors, um, and this has come mostly from my twenties. Is whenever I started receiving mentors, I started getting into the spiritual, um, but then I also started to open myself up to spirit. So a lot of my guides are actually non-physical, mm-hmm. you know, lucid dreaming, uh, dream therapy, um, astral projection, 
there are times where, you know, we consider them archangels, but the, the, the angels would just pop up and be like, yo, I'm like, yo, you're awesome. And develop a relationship with that concept and that personality. And then learn even more, like, oh, you guys aren't angels? Ah, homie, they, that man called us that. We don't call ourselves that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so shit, well, who the hell are you guys? Oh, you got personalities and shit? Oh, wait, you guys got ego too? Oh, shit, huh. Hmm. Like, learning all these things about these, these uh, non-physical beings. And then um, Siddhartha, you know, Siddhartha came Siddhartha to me in a meditation. I love that book. Yeah, well, the book, funny enough, came to me. I was in a meditation two days before. I saw this Siddhartha jade emerald, like, really vivid in my inner vision. And I was like, what the hell? I can see all the sparkles. I can see the details of the clothes. I see everything, just like it was me and you sitting right here. And I was able to look at the whole body. And then two days later, my client says, this came to me, and I think I'm supposed to give it to you. And I'm like, yo, Buddha, what the fuck are you trying to do, son? Like, what's happening? What I need to learn? Mm-hmm. And when I read the actual book, I was like, oh, shit, these are all the questions I've been asking. Mm-hmm. These are all the things that I've been trying to figure out. Right. So me and your path are parallel. Like, I'm going through the exact same thing that you went through. Oh, and so I let Siddhartha not only speak to me through the book, but I also went back in my meditations. Mm-hmm. And then I started to develop a verbal relationship, audible relationship with, with Siddhartha. Like in meditation, you come to me and we just sit and chat. I'll ask questions. I'll hear responses. Mm-hmm. And there's like an inner knowing, like tiny voices that you know are there, but you can't even really hear. They're so mm-hmm. faint. And then other, other thing, other, uh, St. Germain, who was an ascended master, um, who was really big into alchemy and saint, sacred geometry and, and uh, Yeshua, you know. I don't like to call him Jesus because that's the white man's name. And, you know, Yeshua wasn't the blonde hair and blue eye guy. And his name was really Yeshua. So um, understanding the connection I had with Yeshua, uh, learning about love and compassion, that was a huge one. Um, and again, so many more, man. Like, yeah. literally, beings that are, like, not even on this planet. Like, I've had... Times where I'm like in a lucid dream in all darkness and I'm having this being walk around me in circles, but speaking to me in a language that is not English or not even earthly Mm. and I'm receiving it as downloads, right? And so whenever I wake up, I'd open my eyes and I would see like hexagons superimposed over everything and I go like, we all have my shaman. It's like, what the hell's happening to me? She's like, you're being downloaded with codes. Mm. And whenever you open your eyes, your subconscious mind is still taking in that download, just like computers, right? Zero, one, zero, one. The code is written, and you're seeing it. And I'm like, yo, that shit's crazy as a motherfucking man. <laughs> She's like, for real. She's like, but you're doing it. That's amazing. Like, you need to teach people. And I'm like, I do, but I don't want people to know that part of me. And so it took me like a long time to even come into that realization that I need to actually speak about this. I yeah. need to actually show people that they can have these relationships. They can have these connections. You can astral project and leave your body. You can send telepathic messages. You can literally like, do pretty much anything mm-hmm. as long as you put the focus and time and, uh, and that belief in that thing. My brother, and you're doing it. Yes. And, you're, and you're doing it at, in a time that yes. is very necessary. Well, so I appreciate it. This was fun. I yes. appreciate you. Please yeah, tell us where we can find you. Ah oh, man, on the on the gram, you know, <laughs> on the gram. I don't even like using the gram anymore. But you can go to my website, crashbell.com. That's crash b e l l, like crashing into a bell.com. It's our website where you can find our online meditation platform, which is subscription based. 
Uh, you can try some for free. Uh, still in beta form, so we're still developing that. Um, and if you find any issues on the internet, please send us a message. We want to correct that. Um, you can also look at our programs that we have in our in the school systems for our, we call it Mindful Ed, Mindful Education. And so you can find our, our curriculums, our social-emotional learning. Uh, you can also go on there and see our corporate stuff and um, see exactly what it is that we're doing, man. We're just trying to provide tools. That's it. However That's we what's can. up, brother. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for carving out the time on your last day yeah. to come check me. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you. Safe travels. Yeah, man. I appreciate you, too. Likewise. Yeah, man. Yes, sir.